You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. I'm at Kai's soccer game. It's halftime. And you can hear all the kids around playing soccer. One of the greatest sports to build stamina because you're on your feet the whole day. <sighs> so this episode is going to be super, super cool. We have the second half of the Strong Like Bull training camp in Spain, which is epic, epic stuff. We do a huge mountain climb to the highest paved road in Spain. We got Emily, me, and maybe Kai kind of mixed in there and kind of a review of camp and what it's like. And also we have an interview with Ben Greenfield about a book that he has coming out. And Ben's kind of a special guy in that he does minimalist training and still does like seven or sub 10 hour Ironmans. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So he knows what he's talking about. And then we also have the news from Sonia Wick, and she is down in Melbourne, Australia, doing support for Angela Nath at Angela's first fully competitive full Ironman. She did Ironman Tahoe, um, but just more to experience it and not to try to win it. And uh, Melbourne is um, a big deal, big race. She's gonna, she's actually gonna try to you know, podium, win, whatever, and Sonia went down with her to um, support her and be her Sherpa, and the the uh, the news with Sonia is done over Skype, and Angela is in the background, in the, in the same room, uh, putting together her fuel, which is super cool. So this is going to be a really, really interesting show, and I thought I'd start off with two things, an equipment review of a piece of equipment I just got. There's a guy jogging. And also um, a Zen moment. Something that really, really struck me as interesting was this Zen concept. I thought it was really good to use for uh, triathlon training. And the concept is um, to go for the experience instead of time or winning or numbers right, trying to beat numbers, and the uh, non-triathlon example of this is um, you're a chef in a kitchen, and you, you, have a, you have a reputation, or you want to keep a reputation, or get a reputation of being the fastest, you know, like, say, McDonald's serves burgers really, really fast, right, so you want to be like that, you want to put out the fastest um, or the most amount of burgers in the short, shortest amount of time. Okay, so you can kind of see that this is like triathlon, right? So you want to be the fastest person on race day or whatever. But anyway, when you view, when you go for time or distance or volume um, first, then everything around you becomes an obstacle. So let's say you're working in this kitchen and you're trying to get out 10 burgers in the next 10 minutes, 
well, somebody around you, you know, drops a burger or can't find a spatula or something like that. Well, they're a problem. They're an, and then that's the way that affects you psychologically is they're, it stresses you out and it makes you view life because you can't help these things when somebody's slow or, you know, um, there's a grease fire or uh, somebody knocks your bike over or something like that. That's just life. You're never, ever, no matter how much you smooth out your life and as good as you get at everything, you're never going to stop these things from happening. Life happening. Life is what happens when you make other plans, I think is the saying. Well, because you set yourself up um, in a way where these things are problems, they're going to make you miserable. And they are obstacles and difficulties and frustrations that you uh, that make you angry at the world around you and make you unhappy. And you can tell when somebody's um, when somebody's like this. You know, they're in a rush. For example, yeah, that's a really good example. You're in a rush. Well, little things that keep popping up really frustrate you and anger you. So, in the triathlon training experience, it you should, if you want to be happier, is you treat it all like an experience and quit saying, you know, I need to run, you know, whatever pace or I need to bike so many miles. And instead, you hop on the bike or get in the pool or whatever you're going to do and say, I'm going to... From now until when I'm done working out, I'm going to feel this workout. And I'm going to go, I'm going to respond to how it feels and do the correct response for how it feels. If I feel like going faster, I'll go faster. If something happens and I need to slow down, then that's an experience. See, it's experience-based instead of uh, problem-based. Somebody just ran by. I'm on. I'm standing right next to a, a big sidewalk loop that people use as a track. So, I um, I started doing this uh, like half a week ago or so. I mean, I've always kind of done it, but I'm also very focused on distances and hours per week and and time and, and pace. And um, I'm running along at night, and I'm just feeling how my run is making my body respond. And then I'm responding appropriately with the right amount of fuel, you know. And instead of trying to fix my workout, I'm just letting my, you know, like, I need to do this to go faster. I need to do this to do it. No, I'm just responding. I'm eating the right amount of fuel for what I'm doing because I'm listening. And I'm going the right pace for how I feel. And you can see how, like, this, this compounds into better and better results. Because now you're training your body for how it feels, and then you're doing the right thing for how you feel. And so I'm, it was really funny is I'm running along, and uh, I'm just jogging, and then a, a shooting star shot from directly overhead um, over the horizon to, to the over the horizon in front of me. So it kind of was going the same direction I was going, and it went from overhead um, off into the distance. And that was like so the same path that I was going, and it just shot across the the sky. And um, because I was present and because I was feeling it, I was able to witness it, and it was really pretty. It was blue. It was really really nice. And 
I was like, ah, oh, this is the experience. This is health. This is fitness. This is good stuff, everybody. So I thought I'd share that with you. Go for the experience and when you're in the moment and you'll actually get better results because you're doing what, what the situation asks of you instead of you trying to fix everything and then being frustrated because you can't fix everything. So there's that. And then also, I just got some cool new shifters that I wanted to tell everybody about. The shifters on my tri-bike at the end of the aero bar extensions were really, really old. And the bike's been dropped a bunch, you know, and packed and shipped and banged up and bumped into things and traveled and on the backs of cars and stuff. So they're banged up and they're starting to come apart. And I would really like to have Dura-Ace, uh, what is it, or, or Ultegra uh, electronic shifting. And But it's too expensive for me right now. So I opted for something that's super, super cool is um, SRAM, S-R-A-M, SRAM, and, and SRAM owns Zip. So SRAM and Zip make return-to-center shifters. And what's the coolest thing is they're super aerodynamic. They point straight forward, so they get, they're in line with the airflow. And then they, um, when you shift, they snap back to center again. So they're returned to center, and the abbreviation is R2C. R and the number 2 and then C for return to center. And SRAM makes ones that are kind of flat lever looking, and then uh, Zip makes them, and they're more um, contoured to fit your hands, your fingertips, and look a little bit more arrow. And I went with the zip ones because I've got a zip arrow bars and zip wheels. So I just went with zip. And I uh, started using them the other day. And man, are they cool. The, the lever throw is a little bit longer than I thought they would be. Um, but now I'm used to that. And it is so cool that they snap back straight forward. And then you don't have these big levers hanging down or out or sideways or up. Um, uh ruining your airflow over your hands these things point straight forward and um they look super super cool so the downside is is they're kind of expensive um they are anywhere between 250 and 350 dollars um depending on where you get them they're carbon which is nice um so they're nice and lightweight and um They've been around for a few years now, so you can find them on um, you can find them online. You can find them on eBay. You can find them. So you, you can probably find. I found them. I forgot where I got them from, but I found them for upper two hundreds, and then took them to my bike shop and had them put them on my bike so they're put on right. And then there's one last thing. Hey, we just scored. Cool. There's one last thing in that. Um, it, you need to know what um, what kind of... There's two different models, and you need to know uh, what you're getting. So, if you get these. So, the um, there's SRAM, and then there's Shimano-style um, ones. And that's that matters because in your rear derailleur, there's a different length of throw for for the different brands and if um, if you get the SRAM uh, based ones 
then the, um, the throw will be the wrong distance and your bike won't shift right um, on the rear derailleur. So um, the way you can tell the difference is ones that are SRAM, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, the soccer game is wild. It's, they're getting so good now. They're nine years old, so they're really badass. The SRAM ones are, um, have red, have anodized red on the inside of the shifters and that and so you would get those if you have a SRAM drivetrain um, rear derailleur on your bike and the Shimano based ones have silver on the shifters and no red and you would get those if you have a Shimano based drivetrain so I have a Shimano rear derailleur and a Shimano front derailleur on my bike so I got Zip VUCA return to center R2C shifters with um, silver, um, uh, they're kind of disc looking uh, pieces on the inside. And that way I know that they'll work with Shimano drivetrain. So there's all that. All right. <laughs> I'm posting pictures of these things on Twitter. I'm so stoked. They're super cool. And um, when you invest time and money in your, in your bike, one important thing, or in your life, in your car, and like all kinds of things, contact points are very, very important. That there's something that you like, and it, you like the way they feel, and the like that you like the way they look, and that's because um, you touch anything that you touch on a regular basis. Um, it's really important that um, they feel nice, and you, it's your saddle, your handlebars, your pedals, your shoes, and your shifters. Are, uh, and your elbow pads are places where you ought to spend a little bit of extra money so that you're happy with however you do it, you know, whatever you're into. Okay, let's move on to the news with Sonia down in, well, down under. She's upside down while I'm right side up while we're doing this uh, little conversation. And we're covering the news. And again, listen for Angela in the background. It's super cool that she's in the background. Today's Saturday here in the United States, and that means she's going to race tonight. So I'm super stoked about that. All right, here we go with Sonia. Well, after you came to after for a race, brash, honest, and confident are a few lighter words I would use to describe him. I like to view my real starky alter ego as my way of putting my fist in the teeth of all the douchebag, bragging, cheating, egotistical, dishonest triathletes and businesses in this community that pump themselves up and take advantage in any way they possibly can. Wow. <laughs> Well done, Jim. <laughs> well, Sonia, I have something to admit. Yeah. I'm the real Starkey. No, you are not. <laughs> or is it you? No, it's not me. Oh. If it, it, You're it supposed could be to anyone. say it's you. <laughs> no, no, it could be anyone, but it is not me. There's no way it's me because we have figured out here in Australia that I don't have any sarcasm. Oh, you don't? No, I don't have that gene. Oh. Is that no, required down be- there? right now i'm being like (laughs) for real i don't i can like get it when people are being sarcastic but i'm sort of unable to be sarcastic myself oh Hmm. i know so how does this how does this how does this get revealed in uh how does australia reveal this to you oh well the aussies here are like sarcasm's their middle name it's like their their country culture oh okay yeah i mean aussies are and you I totally... mean, I didn't know that before I came, but yeah, there's a lot of sarcasm going around here. And you and you don't get it, or you don't know how to do it. No, I get it. I just can't do it back. Oh, 
Uh, you'll probably pick up on it. How much longer? Okay, when did you get there? Um, I've been here a week. A week, okay. And then, so what's, what is the situation like down there? Besides the, the endless amounts of sarcasm. I know. Um, <laughs> I saw weather. Angela tweet something about the food is fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Like the, every, okay, it's, Melbourne is known for its cafe culture. Uh -huh. So every little like corner, corner area, little corner shopping kind of area or whatever has a cafe and okay. the cafe will have coffee, like hot chocolate, really good, really, really good coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I've had coffee every day because mm -hmm. it's so good here. No, it's not bitter. It's just like smooth. And right. then they'll have, um, the typical Aussie breakfast is sourdough toast with two poached eggs on top. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, but then they do variations. They'll do like sourdough toast with pesto on it, with Ooh, two eggs, yeah. with arugula and avocado. Ooh. Like, yeah. So that's, and pretty much every cafe has that sort of, uh -huh. that basic breakfast. And then there's sort of add-ons to that breakfast. Oh, so it's been, it's like perfect for athlete food. Really healthy. Um, and yeah, it's like everywhere, pretty much every little block has a cafe that you just walk into and you know you're going to get really good, fresh food. So are you, are you training at all down there or are you just hanging out? Yeah. I'm doing a ton of training. Cool. Yep. So I, it's kind of, kind of like, the, I feel bad for the people who are racing Ironman because they sort of like have all their just little tiny sessions left, but uh -huh. I in road 90 miles. Holy um, cow. And so I got to go see all this wonderful, amazing stuff and rode on the beach and, yeah. oh, it was divine. I, Do you have to stop in the road as koala bears, a flock of koala bears no. go by being carried no. by kangaroos or what's it really like? No. Okay. Well, first off, koala bears do not travel in flocks. Like they're pretty solitary they animals. Don't, they come across like a herd across the no. road of teddy bears? No, they bears. do not. No, but the, the kangaroos, I think, are more of like a flock type animal, but I haven't seen any of them because they don't really like people. Oh, okay. They're kind of like and deer, so, right? They kind of hide out. They're just like deer, yeah. yeah. And we ate kangaroo two nights ago. Uh-huh. And how's that taste? It tastes like beef. Is it red meat or white meat? It's red, very red. Very red? Ooh, yeah, and really lean. Oh, I guess that's cool. Mm -hmm. Angela ate it too. Oh, I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's going to be Angela's secret weapon. She's like kangaroo meat. Yeah. She's eating kangaroo. Therefore, With Nutella she smeared all over it or something, something bizarre. We haven't had Nutella. We have had Tim Tams. Yeah. And though, because they're like cookies. So she's waiting until after. So you're there to Sherpa. Uh-huh. Uh, Angela. So yep. how's Angela feeling? Okay. So I, I, I'm guessing this is Angela's first Ironman where she's going to try not. to be really competitive in it and not just experience it, right? Are we still going with uh, that? Yeah, no, she's here to compete. Yeah, okay. So how's she, how she handling all of it? Really good. She yeah. just goes through her emotions, and she's really good at advocating for her needs. So yeah. she just does what is best for her and um, rests a lot and gets her sessions in. And she's like, I mean, Angela, I've always known her... If if I could put like one word on her, it would just be like the professional. She just is very professional with oh, her yeah, work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You said yeah, that before. Was... Like she knows exactly what she needs. Yeah. And so I'm just here to help her make that happen. No and drinking be... like Foster's every night. 
Yeah, she would never do that. <laughs> she would just always make the right decision for her performance. Yeah. Um, whereas us, we're like, oh, we're here. Why not? I'll, you know, eat a pack of Tim Tams. Like, Angela will be, you know, no, that's not the right thing for her performance. So she just right. won't do it. And it's not a big issue. She just, that's how she kind of leads her life. It's very inspiring to be around. So I remember um, interviewing her a while back and she's the one that suggested to me, and it really works. Um, just, she would count out, this is for shorter races, how many gels she anticipates needing on the race and then just go ahead and squeeze them into a water bottle. Yeah. And is that what she's doing for this one? Same kind of thing or? It's actually what she's doing as we speak. <laughs> Squeezing out all the gels. Um, yeah, like she's doing her little water ball thing that you just described right now. Oh, cool. <laughs> I remembered. That's a good trick. Yeah. And she's putting little lines on her water bottles for like the different hours that she needs to get through, like yeah. her little bottles. So she's on it. She's got a lot of little tips. Is is she going to do a special needs bag halfway through the bike or just ride straight through? Andrew, are you going to do special needs bag on the bike? Nope. She's just going to ride right through. That's the way I do it. I'm like, that's, that's 30 seconds. <laughs> it's 22. I timed it one time. 22 seconds. <laughs> that's how you can tell how like dedicated somebody is. It's 22 seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, um, so all the fuel out of one bottle. She, um, I think maybe she has two. Yeah. Two fuel bottles. I think so. And she's got that cool specialized bike that has the, the bladder inside. Oh, that's such a cool bike. I love that bike. Well. So does she, um, is it a wetsuit swim? Yes. Yeah, okay. we swam yesterday. Yeah. Um, it was very, it's usually, there's chop almost all the time. Uh-huh. And yesterday it was really flat. So oh. we actually got a really good day. She, um, nice. The lady that we're staying with said it's very rarely like that. We're actually staying with, we're staying with legends. Mm -hmm. Um, our homestay is a set of identical twins that race Ironman. Really? Uh-huh. Liz and Burn. Girls. Really? And they're, they're badasses, like just total badasses. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. So let's see who else, who are some other big name pros that are racing it? Mary Beth, Caroline, Stefan, Rebecca Keat. Oh, that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be fun. It'll be fine. Mm. Should be fun. I've never heard of those people. I know. <laughs> Bitches. All of them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You put on here that Jody Swallow does an extra lap around the Abu Dhabi course. Yeah, that... we got to talk about that. Okay. She was pissed. Oh, yeah. So pissed. Yeah. Um. Okay, you ready to cover some news? Do we need to... Uh... Anything Angela yeah. wants to say before the big day? No, she doesn't want to talk. She's in her pre-race thing. She's in her zone. Yeah. Okay. I get it. <laughs> we might be able to get her after, but right now, no. Right she's now. Not while she's trying to mix fuels and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. She's... Okay. Um, so, oh, okay. I'm going to put on here. Everyone is allowed to be the real Starkey. Right. So can you see it if I make a like change right yeah, now? Yeah, I can totally see it right now. Oh my gosh. I've been okay. recording since about halfway through your, your Starkey revelations. Oh, great. So, but you're going to edit it or something, right? So what? 
You're going to edit it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get rid of it in post. Don't worry. Just, okay. <laughs> that's what everybody says. Just kidding. All right. So, what we've, what, hey, everybody. What, what we've been listening to is me and Go Sonia, Sonia Wood, talking about um, uh, the news of what's going Stop. on in the triathlon world, especially, specifically down in Melbourne for Ironman Melbourne. Or how do they say it? Melbourne. They say Melbourne. 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 Mike, we're in Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned you can't say buoy. Like, if you say buoy, an Australian in their head is just laughing at you like you're dumb. Oh, that's like saying a boot or something like that. That's yeah, it's a boy. A boy. A boy. <laughs> Got it? I and I learned the term um, ocker. Ocker. Um, that's that? like, Red? I think it's sort of like what we would say for white trash or ghetto. Like, oh, okay. oh, ocker. Oh. And bogan. Bogan is similar. Like Bogan. That's quite the bogan move. Like just like kind of a dumb, like not very intelligent or well thought out thing. I was down surfing at Galveston one time and there was an Australian guy on the seawall and he's like, So where can I get a mile? And I'm like, What? And you're like, what? Where can I get a mile? And I'm like, What? <laughs> and then he pointed at my longboard and he's like, Mile And I'm like, Oh mall, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Oh you go run them down there. <laughs> That's what they call longboards. I got in the pool. I was swimming, and I had to switch lanes because they were taking one of the lanes. And so I popped in with another guy, and I was like, "Oh, I just I have five hundred left, you know." And then I'll be out. And he goes, "Oh, it's, it's I I'm I'm just fluffing." And I was yeah, like, "Yeah, I heard about that fluffing. I loved that." <laughs> so we've been trying to use it, but apparently we keep using it in like the wrong way. Yeah, there's a wrong way to use that. Like you can't. You're not going for a fluff. That's not. That's not the same. Do you know like, what a fluffer is? Um, yeah, we figured that out too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just so you know. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm. You have to be gentle with that yeah, one. Yeah, you have to be careful with the fluffing. Yep. Well, cool. Let, let me hop over to the new to the news. So, what Sonia and I do is, well, first off, we got a really nice response from you being on the show last time. So that was super. Oh, cool. that's good. You saw all those those tweets. Yeah, we got some love. That was really that made me feel good. Yeah. And, and bad so, stuff too. That'll make me feel bad, but that's fine. What? We got bad stuff? No, we didn't. But oh. I'm just saying, well, they can say bad stuff if they want. You no, know, they, they can't. Can, <laughs> they can be critical. That's fine. And then, uh, let's see. So we share a document that we can edit live. Yep. And, um, and then we can read the news off of it all the time. So it's super easy. Yeah. So do you want to do the, the Jody Swallow thing? Since I guess that's the most recent. And then we'll work backwards. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to jump in, but apparently Jody Swallow racing Abu Dhabi last weekend, um, mm -hmm. she did an extra lap on the Abu Dhabi course and was quite angry about having done so. <laughs> yeah. um, and she actually put a tweet out that said something to the effect that she had a new appreciation for Iron Man, which I think is the first ever of that sort of tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... She was winning. Yes, she uh, wasn't. They team. did a separate pro male and pro female swim start. And I remember the, I was watching the commentary on YouTube and they said, <laughs> Jody would probably rather swim with the guys. She's so fast. She is. And, fast. Um, and draft off of them and work, work with them, you know? Right. And anyway, so she, I, from what, 
from what I can gather, she was winning. She came off the swim first by a lot. And then... Two minutes, I think they said. Yeah. And was winning the bike probably. Yeah. And did the extra lap probably because um, she was so far ahead of the other girls on the bike. They were probably like... They probably... She, you know, you know what I mean. Like they were. I don't like, know. I don't. But, I don't understand how you do an extra lap. Was it like a full lap or a mini lap, or did she go oh, into? Oh, she this said it was like eight k, and that sounds like a lot. That sounds like yeah. a full lap around the entire racetrack. So it's part of the race bike course is around the this race car track. So that so sounds about right. A, there's a turn mm-hmm. that they they don't mark for the sprint. For the sprint. Before the full, so there may have been some something about. Yeah. Those so she two was so far out. ahead that that uh, she didn't notice it or something. And then apparently she was so far behind. After <laughs> yeah, that she only got fourth. But yeah. the difference I, I was going to look that up before we did this. The difference between third and fourth was thousands and thousands of dollars. Really bad. Yeah, yeah. the prize money was changed this year. Right. Um, and that, that was quite a problem with the pros because they changed it very close to the race and they used to pay 10 deep, I believe. And then they went to paying five deep, but not only was it five deep, it was like, what was the win? Like 25,000 for the win. And then it was like 15,000, 10,000, 2000. It, yeah. it cut off very steeply. Yeah. And if you notice their pro field, um, basically took a ginormous hit. Right. So there's a little bit of, you know, the the pro needs to know the course. She should have known that there was only three laps and not four. And she probably knew that, but that it was more of like a, um, like a signage. Like she was she was not quite sure exactly where she should yeah, turn. Yeah, I I have faith that Jody knew that there was three laps and that there oh. there's something else through her. Yeah, in that. for sure. Yeah. Um, and that can be really frustrating. And really frustrating. And you know, these, these pros, um, they are going so fast Yeah. and their positions are so arrow. Um, they're, you know, it's not adventure racing, right? <laughs> they're looking at their front tire and that's about it. And that's it. The yeah. road right front. And I, you know, I do think that courses need to be extra, yeah. extra clear with those front groups. You hear about that more often than not people being led astray and it's always the front, the front women or the front men. Yeah. And then somebody's, uh, another female, um, I think she was one of the top three someone stole her bike computer off of her handlebars before the race. And she had to ride totally by feel. Wow. At Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is cool. That is not cool. Um, let's see. So there's that. Yeah. And, Let's see which one. Which story should we do next? What do we have? We have you got USAT national ranking of first in your age group. I did this year, and <laughs> I just so awesome. I got the um, the a new Ironman rankings that came out. Uh-huh. They um, I got the number one in my age group there. In oh the, yeah, because Ironman does rankings too. Yeah, they just yeah. started this past year with a nation. So how many races did you do last year? Um, that were Ironman branded. I yeah. did seven. Oh my god! Yeah, I did three fulls last year. Holy cow! So, no. how many hours a week do you train? Um, maybe like twenty. Okay. Yeah, I'd say on average about twenty. 
And let's see, do you, I have, uh, I'm working on a theory with training. Do you do like a one like big day a week and then everything else short or do you do kind of all medium or, or, or what? I would say I do, um, all medium, maybe like five days a week, medium and mm -hmm. two days a week low. So what's, what's medium to you and what's low? I'd say medium to me is like. 3k swim um 50 mile ride and 30 minute run yeah okay yeah so like a couple hours <laughs> yeah like you know, three <laughs> like four hours three yeah. three to four yeah i was being facetious sarcastic dang it uh, you missed it <laughs> I realized. I'm not that. <laughs> okay so then uh yeah a couple hours for you i let people yeah. name distances i was like it's got to be great to be a pro and then go by distance Right, because it, because Chrissy Wellington, you know, it's like, oh, I, know. I never do more than a, than a three-hour ride was her thing. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm like, goes, yeah, it's like a like hundred miles. <laughs> right, exactly. She rides five hundred-mile ride for her. Okay, so um, let's see. Can we talk about the real Starkowitz thing? Yeah. Okay, because I think it's really funny. Do you follow the real Starkey on Twitter? I. Do, but mostly by accident because other pros retweet him because they yeah. love what he says. What he says, yeah. Yes, because he's saying what they can't say. Right. And so today, apparently, like people have wondered who who's really behind this parody account. And uh -huh. today, I don't that must have been I don't know how he managed it, but he got a whole bunch of pros and different people today to say that they are the real Starkey. Right. So I started seeing this on Twitter. I saw people being like, I'm the real Starkey. And I was like, really? And then I'd see somebody be like, I am not the real Starkey. And I was like, okay, this is weird. We finally had to go look it up. And apparently it was like a well-orchestrated thing on behalf of, of the real Starkey, which I think is pretty impressive being that no one actually knows who it is. Do you think that it's, I don't think that it's an actual um, pro. No, I don't think so either. I don't think it's a top pro. I think it's a, I think it's a, like a really smart age grouper. Age grouper. I, yeah. Someone who's like in the industry. Yeah, industry. They know. Yeah, yeah. and just has a really good sense of humor, yeah. dry sense of humor. Yeah, I think pros are too involved in the game to, to want to, to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, they're in it. They're in it too much. I think somebody outside of it sitting there can do that. I think um, so too. I think the pros like they're a lot more. Yeah. They're not really worried about where the sport is going or what sort of party fouls people are making via Twitter. Like they're so concerned with their performance and yeah, yeah. their own world. Exactly. I think it's great. It's so cool because you can actually get a really good feel for what's going on in the industry based on that guy or girl, yeah. whatever it is that's doing this. Yeah. I do the kind of I don't know. Interesting, like my one little beef with it, and I'm sure I'm just going to get this like, oh, you have no sense of humor, or <laughs> no sense of sarcasm. But yeah. um, sometimes I think like softly judgmental. Like there's a lot of, I, I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, that's an unfollow. Like that tweet you put out there is an unfollow from the real Starkey. And I'm like, you know, like we could all stand to take a few deep breaths here. Yeah. <laughs> so, at, at times I feel like um, we don't have to be so judgmental about people who are just excited to be swimming and biking and running and doing well. Like, yeah, you posted a selfie of yourself on the trainer. Like, 
good, you go. I'm, I'm more of the like, good, good on you. You know, the world needs more acceptance of this stuff rather than judgment. But I get that it's sarcasm and it's funny and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading like some of the tweets. Somebody said the real Starkey really isn't that funny anymore. And he wrote back in all caps, that's no way to talk to your father. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. It's great stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much like the real Starkowitz, where he like yells and like. That's just my. I don't even. I don't know the real, the real, real, real Starkey. Oh, you know, I don't know him very well, but his public you... impersonation is that he's, he's like this. Like yeah. he's a piece of work. Yeah. yeah. Like man, he's a, he's a lot to deal with. Yeah, but and I but then I've I've seen other interviews with him where he's like just totally mellow and cool and like it's blown out of proportion and stuff. So I saw that the interview um, before Rev Three took it down where he was he's being interviewed. At, I think really when all the kind of Starkowitz stuff really blew up was that interview he did with Rev Three. Yeah, um, and I I just I laughed. Have you raced Rev Three events, Brett? I have not done one yet. No. Okay, they're pretty they're pretty like family friendly. Yeah, yeah. And all the people who work for Rev3 are really fun and chill and just like good people. And yeah. uh, the guy doing the, the interview, Stu, Simply Stu, right? On oh, Twitter. I know Stu, yeah. Stu, okay. So then you know that you pretty much like cannot be mean to Stu. It's like if you were mean to Stu, it would uh -huh. be like kicking puppy, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, he's super nice. Yeah. Super nice. And here's like Andrew Stark. I tried getting angry at him one time and I couldn't do it. Exactly. Well, yeah. Andrew could. He basically got mad at Stu and was, was kind of yelling at Stu and being like, people always ask me that question. Like, why do you ask me that question? I'm not oh, no answer. way. To Stu? To Stu. And oh, that was, can't do that. was like, oh, you're a jerk. Like, yeah. that did it for me. Like, you don't kick a puppy. You know, yeah. you don't kick a puppy. St Stu, I remember, like, people, the complaint about his podcast is that he's too happy and too nice. Like, yes, and he is that way in real life, and he has like all these kids, and yeah, he's just he's one of the nicest cool. people you'll ever meet. Yeah, it's like no, not Stu. So <laughs> after that, I kind of understood, you know, yeah. the beef against the guy because it's like he's a puppy kicker. <laughs> a puppy kicker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's see what do we got here to um, Dave Scott. This is a little bit old. Dave Scott it's, thinks Lance should be allowed to race in Kona, and yeah. people are pissed. People are mad. <laughs> that Really mad. Yeah. Now, see, I don't think that Lance should be allowed to race triathlon. Me neither. But I'm not, I'm not going to get myself too worked up about it, but I don't think so because I think the benefits of doping are huge, and, um, and, the, and I don't want to compete against that. So, and they last, in Lance's case, they last his entire life because of the money he made from yeah. the effects from doping allows him the best equipment, the best training, the best everything. And now I'm supposed to compete against a multimillionaire who got all that money from doping, from winning yeah. through doping. And now he has endless resources and coaching and bikes and equipment and training and all this stuff. And now I've got to compete against that? No, no thanks. I bet that benefit's bigger than the doping benefit yeah. or the result doping benefit yeah he the gets the land this learjet on the airport runway of the race course that we're going to race on and then yeah yeah i'm like no this is a little this is a little much but for that's me, just my opinion so are we so desperate for publicity that we'll take crappy publicity 
Yeah. Are we so desperate for publicity that we'll, you know, right? That that guy. In? Yeah. So, so, I, I when when I read the article, like Dave Scott's comments, I was kind of like, um, I kind of understood what Dave Scott was uh, saying. He's like, it'll get more money for our pros, and we need to take, you know, the publicity will get more money in the sport, and then that'll help pay our pros who don't make enough money, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah. I could see that logic. And then I was listening to I Am Talk which is out of uh -huh. New Zealand. And they were like, the ex-pro that's on the show said, no, we need to invest in our pros yeah. and and find the next Lance, not yeah. use yeah. A, a doper's uh, use a fame. Yeah. To, uh, let's to try to some more funds out of. Yeah, let's develop our next Lance from within and, mm -hmm. um, and make a, a hero for everybody out of this sport. And I was like, yeah, I like that even better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little confused as to what and I'm not trying to say anything about Dave Scott, but what kind of athlete wants to race a known doper? What oh well, what's Maca? And then says someone, oh, you know, yeah, that was Maca. So what does that say? What I yeah. to me, uh, little yeah. little sketchy there. Well, Maca was saying that he wanted to race him, and I think Maca has such I, I love Maka actually but but Maka one of the things I like about him is his ego is just so outrageous large yeah so but it's, <laughs> I think it's just funny you know it's like it's like cool to watch but he's also really he just tells the truth and he's like really he's nice when he needs to be yeah so yeah. the um do you think if Maka knew the extent to the disadvantage that he would have because of performance enhancing drugs if if Maka himself is racing clean uh, does it I mean, does Maka really understand the extent that, yeah, you want to race him, but if he's fully doped and loaded, like, you're not going to win. Remember, you're not going to be in the same ballpark. Remember, Maka was part of the things he was saying was racing Lance. He's like, yeah, I want to race Lance. I, his, his, I think his ego was like clouding his vision, his judgment. Yeah. He's like, I am the best in the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. So I'll so, race them. And I'm like, yeah, okay. you say it a lot right there. But then what happens when you get beat? And then we all know he's a doper. Where do we yeah. go from there? Like, what, how do you make sense of that? Well, I don't know. Or does he know it's an Well, I think you can always race. just say, you know, well, I just didn't, I didn't have a good day. Yeah, right. Which Maka <laughs> does a lot, right? He's like, he'd drop right. out. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's not doing well. He just drops out and says, I'm not having a good day. Yeah. So there's a, I think you, you can already calculate a way out of it, you know, right from the start. Boy, so then really it is, it's like a win-win, you know, to mm -hmm. some extent there's no. If you look at it the right way, you could engineer mm -hmm. it into a win-win, right? Yeah. If you're, yeah. if you're half crazy and the other half insane. Yep. <laughs> which, <laughs> which back it well, is. Sort of. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's he, see. And coaching line Stefan now. Did you see that? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about it because okay. she's here in, in Ironman Melbourne. Oh. Oh. She's here. So I'll This I'll, is I'll, awesome. I'll Angela's going to race Stefan? Yes. This is great. Yeah. The I'm new... so looking forward to this race. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. good. This is going to be so good. Okay. So I've really, I, there's a, Maca puts out a podcast. And, okay. And it's actually really, really good because he, that, that thing where he tells, he tells it how it is. Yeah. I do uh, like that. It's really cool. Cause you get to see the in, inside of the sport. 
You know, he's taught, he talks about people and how they train and what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, right? And I thought and it was so fascinating. He said that with Carolyn Stefan, that one of the things is that he wants to fix with her is her cadence is too low on the bike. And that's why she doesn't run very well off the bike. Interesting. Um, that in one of her recent races, she had a cadence of like 70 something, you know, he's like, that's oh, too low. Wow. It's just that's too really low. low. Yeah. And now who knows, you know, maybe she kind of blew up and like, she was just kind of soft pedaling around because she already knew she wasn't going to yeah. you know, run well. That's what I would do. I would just be like, nah, you know, so I don't know. I don't know the full story behind that, but, it, yeah. um, so if she's pushing a really big gear, she could have just, um, like really just sort of slowed down and loaded her legs. Yeah. 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 So if, if she was actually, if she was actually doing that low of a cadence, yeah, that bla that blasts your legs off so you can't run. Yeah. So, um, I like it that he's going to be coaching her because I think that'll be really interesting to follow. Like what he tries to change, how, how much can you change somebody that's at that level already? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like he's really been um, a student of the sport. Yeah. You know, all these years when he's had his own downfalls, he's really tried to fix it with education and trying to learn and progress from a yeah. from an education point of view in the sport. So Did I know, you see his, you know his quote, he goes, I have a PhD in triathlon. <laughs> yeah, that's how I mean I really feel like more yeah. than more than most, you know, he has really done the research and looked into so many different things that maybe um, some other athletes that had less strife through their careers in the sport yeah. didn't really have to delve that deep into those sides of things. Yeah. On his podcast, when he talks about an athlete, he'll talk about them from, from head to toe, you know, uh -huh. that they have this mental view of the sport, that they have this physical ability, that they have this, you know, their training is off or that it's right. Like he analyzes the heck out of everything. Yeah. It's really fascinating to see how his take on the sport is so calculated. And also, yeah, the gamemanship. You know, he, he views that as a lot of the sport too. Yeah. How to Pretty psych good. yourself up and what that does to you and how, how physically, mentally things can wear you down and like the competition and all that. It's fascinating. So. Well, I will be watching. I'll, be, I'll watch and kind of see if I see anything different with her, you know, or whether she's trying to psych anyone out. <laughs> psych anyone. <laughs> she'll psych me out just standing next to her <laughs> yeah like, holy See, crap starts working <laughs> yeah it already works she's yeah she's she's awesome so <laughs> so uh let's see do we have anything else phil's going on tour oh phil maffetone yep yep i don't really know what that means i think he's, he's going i think what it means Speaking he's like of. opened up himself for you to like book him uh-huh to come be talk I would like to see him talk. Yeah. Have you seen him? No, we just did that. We did an interview with him. Oh, yeah. And That's right. it went long and it was great. I felt like I was talking to, I Yoda? felt like I was talking to somebody that, that was so confident in what, what they had done that they were so casual and they didn't feel the need yeah. to really convince you of anything. Yoda. So, yeah. It was like, well, if you do this, then this will happen. Yeah. I'm like, well, what about this? And then you say, well, if you do that, then this will happen. Like, well, what about that? Yeah. And you say, no, that doesn't really matter. I'm like, what about this? And he's like, yeah, that matters a lot. <laughs> and hence the four-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. And so no need to like really to convince you, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, he coached Mark Allen. That's all the convincing you need. Right? Yeah, it worked. It worked really well. He works with Angela, too. I know. Angela's so lucky. That's so cool. She's got the Mark Allen, Phil Mathtone duo. So... Uh, on Angela's case, how many how many calories per hour is does she try to get in? Or about three hundred. About three hundred. I think Phil wants her to do less. <laughs> less? I think so. Golly! So on my last podcast that I just put out the other day, just a couple of days ago, I interviewed um, QT Two Systems um, uh-huh. Jesse Kropelnicki, and yes. he's a coach that tries to cram calories down people. Yes, he does. Yep. To um, have them run better, so they're fueled. Totally right. different. And I think it's valid, but it's a different approach. It is and has to be trained. If yeah. I'm yeah. Correct in understanding his approach. Yeah. I, I mean, it's obviously successful. So, yeah. Um, all right. Any other news? I don't know. I don't want to keep you from your. What are you going to do today? Uh, I've got a track session to go run and then I'm going to go do a real big swim. Oh, nice. So, yeah. how, um, let's say you're training for an Ironman. Okay. And um, you're a few weeks out, so it's you're kind of peaking in your training. Do you okay. do a lot of intensity, or are you just doing like all volume, or, or yep. what? volume, 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 until you've sort of plateaued out with volume, which yeah. it's you know pretty hard to do. It takes a long time. Um, getting up and going through the motions day in and day out is what's at least what's paid off for me through so, the long. And then you hold back during the session, so you don't push too hard. So um, I, I warm up and I see how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling good, I, I push, but you know, never too much over, um, a little faster than Ironman pace, never yeah. much, much past that. And only in a way I can sustain and fuel and, um, feel good, you know, through and be able to run off yeah. well, but yeah, nothing like nothing, um, flashy, you know? And then how many calories per hour are you doing? Um, I would say when I'm training, um, See, I eat about a 200 in food and another um, about 90 in liquid. Yeah. So about, yeah, about around 300. If I'm hungry, though, if I have hungry tummy, you know, then I'll be up in the more like uh, 350 range, yeah. 400 range. Just depends, like, how much of a breakfast I got out with or how hungry my tummy is. I kind of eat. You're flexible. I kind of always make sure I get one an hour, but then if I'm more hungry, I'll just start bumping that up sooner. Cool. That's the way to do it. Yeah, just listen to your body. It's, you know, it's really about that. There's so much information out there, but the science experiment has to be done with you because people are individual. Right. At some point, you got to use you and a stopwatch and how you feel and then yeah, and, go and with not what be works. Your own intuition. Yeah. Because um, that can be very strong. And I think a lot of people ignore their own intuition for what they think other people have told them works. But really, that's just a factor of what other people's intuition has led them to. Yeah. 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 They're preaching their own intuition results. Exactly. Like, like it's a rule for everybody. And it's like not. it's a rule for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's, it's, that can be a really good starting place listening to someone that you really trust um, and start there. But I really think that you have to, that can only be a starting place. You then need to apply it and then look at how it worked and then try to tweak it and move from there. And that is excellent training advice from the person <laughs> holding first place in both USAT and Ironman age group rankings. So listen. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> listen, Thank everybody. You. It works. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I'll let you go. 
Thank you. And y'all have y'all y'all have a yep. good time down there. I know, in right? Australia. <laughs> Wish Angela the best of luck. Yeah, and she doesn't need it. She is going to rock it. I can't wait to watch. I know it'll and, be fun. And uh, wow, this is going to be super super cool. Yeah, so I'll try best to. Best of luck, first competitive Ironman. Be cool. Yeah. All right. All Take right. care. All right. Bye. Bye. -bye. All right, we are back. Thank you so much, Sonia. And if you enjoy having Sonia on the podcast, make sure you let her know on Twitter. She's Go Sonia, S-O-N-J-A, on Twitter. So you can find her over there. And let's see, the news is brought to you by AmritaHealthFoods.com. And if you go there, you can get Amrita bars for... Oh, what's the discount? I think like 10 or 15% off um, with discount code ZEN, capital letters, Z-E-N. Make sure you go there. Amrita bars are critical to my nutrition and a whole lot of other people I know that are really, really, really in the triathlon and do really well. So, Oh, we almost scored. <laughs> so there's all that. And let's go ahead and get started with the interview with Ben Greenfield. He's got a book coming out, lots of cool stuff. He's a really laid-back, mellow guy, um, starting to get into Spartan racing, I think. So let's go ahead and check this out. Here we go. All right, we have with us Ben Greenfield. How's it going, man? Doing awesome, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just got off the treadmill, just hammering out a, a uh, one-hour run. I uh, I personally do not want to see a treadmill for a very, <laughs> very long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I ran for three hours on a treadmill, staring at a blank white wall. Oh, why? On uh, Friday, I was I was over at University of Connecticut in a laboratory study by uh dr jeff volick over there he's the guy that wrote the art and science of low carb performance right and he runs one of the top human performance labs in the country and right. they flew uh 10 high fat and 10 high carb uh endurance athletes out there and right. they fed the high carb athletes for six months a high carb diet they fed the high fat athletes for six months a high fat diet and then they brought us in and did like they jammed needles into our thighs and took out like hundreds of uh milligrams of muscle tissue to uh, test uh, uh, uh muscle glycogen and they did like fat biopsies on the butt and then uh yeah. blood draws and vo2 measurements and gas measurements and then to put the icing on the cake they had us run on the freaking treadmill for for three hours i was hoping there might be like a a plasma yeah. screen TV or something, but no dice. When when was this? When was the this running? This was uh, four days ago. Oh my god! I can't. I yeah. can't believe I didn't catch that. I follow you on Twitter, and I didn't see that part. The, yeah. Uh, the I don't. I didn't do much tweeting from the treadmill. <laughs> well, did they? Um, what was the reasoning behind nothing to watch or nothing to see on the on the treadmill? Was there a purpose well, behind that, or that's just the lab setup? No. Oh, that was just like, it was just like one of the, I don't know if you've been to like an exercise phase lab before, but it's kind of yeah, like, they're kind of plain, like I guess. Airdyne and, you know, like a lap pull down machine hooked up to a power plate and like yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's very bare bones, and yeah. I I don't think there are a lot of studies. If you look at most studies on endurance athletes, they're 5K runs, or they're like 10K bikes, or right. like a long – like if you look at, for example, that study that was done showing that that multivitamins, or I think it was antioxidants, aren't effective for endurance athletes, yeah. the endurance athletes, quote-unquote endurance athletes, were doing like four times a week a 60-minute bike ride. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you know, endurance is all relative, but I mean, for an Ironman triathlete, that's like, that's you know, yeah. it's, it's nothing. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, in retrospect, I should have loaded up my Kindle with movies and all that jazz. But even then, it's it's kind of hard to, like, look over the top of the mask that you're wearing because, you, yeah. like, for a lot of the run, <laughs> you're wearing this mask that's, like, bouncing up and down in front of you. So, right. So, yeah. Oh, man. No treadmills for me for a no. while. <laughs> Dreadmill in your case. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about the book, man. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's um, beyond training, and people go go check it out at beyondtrainingbook.com, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the uh, subtitle is "Mastering Endurance, Health, and Life." So you're mm. this is bigger than triathlon. This yeah, is a whole lot well, it's bigger a, than that. It's a big book. It's like yeah. 540 pages long. Oh wow! Uh, my publisher called me up. He's like, "This is a weapon." I'm like, <laughs> or, "Or a very heavy paperweight." Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wraps in a lifestyle and time management and family management strategies. It wraps in biohacking strategies to minimize the amount of time that you need to train. It wraps in like recovery and self quantification and how to really keep a finger on the pulse of exactly what kind of training you should do on any given day, given your recovery status, yeah. uh, go into a lot of like underground training tactics, like hypoxic training and isometric training and, you know, cold thermogenesis and some of these ways you can kind of hack your way into improved mitochondrial density and fat oxidation and some of these other things that come in really handy for endurance athletes do it. You know, a big part of it is on nutrition and kind of how vegans can tweak their diet and old people and young people and, and women and, um, you know, kind of like different routes to go, whether you're an omnivore, or whether you're going to eat plants and, uh, yeah, just kind of cover the gamut of being not just healthy on the outside and fit on the outside, but also healthy and fit on the inside and kind of getting all your ducks in a row from life to endurance to health. And yeah. so it's kind of a, a synopsis of about 10 years of, you know, just time spent in the trenches kind of learning this stuff. So I wanted to write a book pages. to bring it all together. Man. Well, actually, it comes with so far. There's nine hidden chapters online, and oh, cool. um, multiple videos and a bunch of extras that come with it. So once you put it all together, it's close to like 700 pages. <laughs> yeah, videos are nice, and it's so cool nowadays that you can add in stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's Have what I want to do, and yeah. I, I'm going to keep adding stuff too. Like anybody that buys the book, like you get username and password right. access to the hidden chapter page online, and I'm just going to keep adding stuff yeah. probably about once a month or so, just. Because I really want to, you know, that's the cool thing these days. Is you can even buy like a hard copy book. And as long as you've got the, the password mm-hmm. to access the stuff online, like, you know, keep getting yeah. updated. But you know what? This kind of book is the kind, uh, like Maffetone's big book, right? So this is the kind that you would keep on your on your coffee table or in your library. You would actually buy a hard copy of this one so that you would have yeah. it as a reference. Use, use it in your gym to lift weights. <laughs> Put it under the front wheel of your of your bike. And then uh, 
open exactly. it up every once in a while. I have a how to raise a baby kind of book, whatever, whichever one it was, under the front wheel of my bike right now. Nice, so, yeah. nice. Yeah, I usually go with magazines under the, the front wheel of the bike. Yeah. So yeah. you've got a, on the web page, you have a, a big list of um, things that are in the book. Let's, let's, uh, let's see, uh, endurance without destroying your body. That's a very good one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, your underground tactics, best biohacks for mental performance and getting into the zone. Mm. And yeah. let's see, how to know with laser-like accuracy, whether you have been truly recovered. Yeah, the heart rate. Are you talking about the heart rate variability? testing and oh to know if you're recovered yeah yeah you, you know you can use heart rate variability testing to, mm -hmm. to test whether you know whether you should do intensity on any given day or volume on any given day mm -hmm. depending on which part of your nervous system is most kind of beat up right but you know i, I think i've talked about that a lot in podcasts before i think we even talked about it the yeah. last time I was on your podcast. Probably. But there are other things that you can do. I mean, you can you can keep a pulse oximeter, which you can get mm -hmm. to the drugstore next to your bed stand. And if you wake up and your pulse ox is below 95%, like yeah. that's a 10-second measurement, it's a pretty good sign that you may want to uh, head to the yoga studio and have a big steak that night rather than, <laughs> you know, beat yourself up with like a, a yeah. hardcore high-intensity interval session. Yeah. Or... um What's another example I could give you from uh, from easy ways to track recovery? Um, you know, about four times a year, I recommend most folks just head over to like a wholesale testing website, uh, like mm -hmm. Direct Labs, for example, and get yourself an adrenal stress index. It's known as an ASI. This thing flies under the radar, but if you open up any biochemistry textbook devoted to physiology of, of sport or, you know, anything like the, you know, the old Russian block way that they would track their athletes, um, cortisol mm -hmm. and DHEA are two hormones that allow you to get a very, very good look at whether or not you are adrenally fatigued or overtrained or kind of what stage of fatigue that you're in. And an adrenal stress index involves you simply getting these little tubes mailed to your house and they're salivary measurements. So it means you got to get yourself to drip saliva into a tube. My trick is I, I smell I smell a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> That's better than That's other a, kind of <laughs> things you have to put yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, it's better. It's better than like Poop pooping in a pan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then you send it off, and uh, you, you do different measurements throughout the day. So a lot mm -hmm. of tests, like you'll just do like say like a blood cortisol measurement, and that'll give you something. But those kind of measurements are usually like a one-off, right? It's like yeah. a snapshot of your cortisol values. But this is like a running graph. So you get twenty-four hours of, of graph, and the only sucky part about the test is you do have to get up at midnight for one of the cortisol measurements so it's kind of annoying but then you send this test off and um really really good way to keep track of kind of how you're doing from a fatigue perspective or even people who i know a lot of people wonder they're like am i overtrained am i adrenal fatigue like is this something i need to worry about am i normal should <laughs> i be feeling sleepy is this just me not getting enough sleep last night or am I, do I have this adrenal fatigue thing everybody's talking about? Like that adrenal stress index, super easy to get. If you go through a wholesaler, I mean, you can get it for like a hundred, 150 bucks. And just as a, as a one-off, it's, you know, and, and then you submit that to your insurance and they'll cover a lot of it too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that I talk about in the book to kind of, you know, keep your finger on the pulse of your recovery. So yeah, that's a big deal because so. there's a lot of people I've, I've, worked with and and uh trained with they it's and myself too right it's real it's really hard to tell why you're tired there's so many mm -hmm. factors in there and 
yeah, if it's adrenal, you, if it's hormonal, then you need to know that. That's different. That's a whole other, yeah, yeah, ball yeah. of wax. And I mean, let's say you just want to go with like the simplest measurement possible. You could just use resting heart rate. The mm-hmm. problem with that is everybody's like, oh, if your resting heart rate is high, that's a sign that you shouldn't go out and train that day. Like, you know, whatever. If your resting heart rate is normally 40 and you wake up one morning and it's like 45 and it's high again the next morning. I mean, that is a pretty decent sign that you are overtrained, but, but it's a sign that you are overtrained with intensity, Right. It's not a sign if you're overtrained with volume. Like a lot of people, they'll yeah. wake up and they'll, they were at like 40 one day and then they're at 38 and 37 yeah. and 36 and they're like, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting more fit. You know, whatever. My heart stroke volume and blood volume is increasing. So I got to pump less times per minute. That's sometimes the case if you're in the process of getting fit. But for most people that are already fit, that's a sign that you've done too much aerobic volume and your parasympathetic nervous system is, is basically just like pooped out and your heart rate's going way, way down. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very simple measurement you can do. Yeah, you're right. It, it is very complicated with intensity in vo- versus volume, what it does to you. So yeah. let's see. Uh, well, what was the process like of getting the book published? This is this, this is a hardback that's available in, in stores right now, right? Or yeah, in, in in real stores like <laughs> I love that. Go right? to Costco and it's buy it. It's for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's for real. Uh, so I, I've I've done self publishing before, uh-huh. which is really like working with a publisher is a pain in the butt. Yeah, because you write the book. Um, I'll, I'm just gonna come right out there and say it. I'm not one of those seven figure advanced kind of authors. I'm not Doctor Oz. I'm not yeah. like you know, pittance for an advance Mm -hmm. and I I get a little bit of a royalty. The reason I went with a publisher is because there's two ways to get in the bookstores. Basically, you you can get published by a publisher or you can, and this is the method that some of the the wealthier authors use now, you can basically buy space on any of the, like the big, whatever it is now, the big five or the big six publishing companies trucks and get access to the stores that way. And that's like a seven figure, you know, process to do something like that. So you got to be loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I'm with a publisher was because I wanted to get this book into the hands of a lot of people. And although I can make more money self-publishing a book, cause mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a hundred percent royalty right. unless I self-publish and put it on Amazon. And even with Amazon, it's, it's a pretty high royalty. You can get as high as 70% royalty on Amazon. Yeah. Um, I wanted to to really um, get get this book out there in as many channels as possible and use it to spread the message that many of us are exercising the wrong way. We are training the wrong way. We are neglecting our families and friends and social lives and careers in many cases to be the the rat on the wheel, be, be the person running for three hours on a treadmill right. <laughs> in a lab. <laughs> I don't do that all the time. That was right. for the sake of science. Right. Um, but to, to really train people that you can achieve amazing feats of physical performance without destroying your body, without destroying your mind, without neglecting your family, and you can have fun doing it and this is almost like a you know a cookbook for how to do it. Right. Um, but the process of getting published, I mean, you submit your manuscript and things fly back and forth, and just it was just a god awful process mm-hmm. editing these you know hundreds and hundreds of pages over and over and over again, and every single graph had to be analyzed. You know, is this copywritten? Is that copywritten? And, and go to get permission from certain people, and like uh, yeah, oh, scientific, yeah, they're very thorough, right? Hundreds and hundreds of scientific references mm-hmm. that we had to pour over. And I mean, like, big process. So, yeah, I mean, I I understand what some authors have told me in the health 
space who say like one of the least healthy things that they did was publish a book on health, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is, which is ironic. So I've avoided like the, the book tour, like getting on an airplane and flying all over the place. Mm -hmm. Most of the way I've spread the word about this book is like, um, you know, blogs, guest posts and come on podcasts like yours and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know there are other little things I've done. Like I did a torrent, like I put out a BitTorrent, which a bunch of with a bunch of free content from the book. Yeah. Um. Actually, actually, I can tell you the the address for it if you want. Yeah, if your listeners me. want, yeah. it's at um bengreenfieldfitness.com slash torrent, okay. and it's just like like some free videos, um, some hidden chapters that aren't released in other spots, just like a bunch of kind of free stuff that gives you a taste of the book. Yeah. But it's not just it's not it's not just like stuff that's in the book that I copied and pasted and put in a torrent. It's like stuff I wrote and created and designed specifically for the torrent. So there's like right. you know, eight different things that you get to download. But you know, and something like that when I put that out on BitTorrent, a bunch of people download download it and because it's just free and people like to download free crap and so then you know that drives traffic to the book site and you know stuff like that so a lot of online stuff so i can sit at home in my underwear and play with my kids and you know <laughs> yeah. ride my bike and and not spend Do a ton of time in, in book, right? a metal tube forty thousand feet above the planet which yeah. i just i do not like air like i fly a lot but i don't like airplanes they're not healthy yeah that's that's actually pretty true but what i got a question for you um, I, I don't know why I started thinking about this, but who would you want to spend a day training with more than anybody else? Mm, and I know that's coming like, out of nowhere, but it just it just like, popped in my mind, and I thought that's a really good question to ask somebody. <laughs> do you mean like like an endurance athlete, or just like? Anybody? Well, okay, let's do an endurance, and then just anybody. Okay, so if it was gonna be an endurance athlete. I would say um, Wim Hof, the Iceman, the guy who who did like the marathon out Mount Everest wearing a pair of shorts. Um, oh, the guy who does like a, a high like, altitude lake, two hours immersed in ice, yeah. swims in lakes. Like yeah. that's that's actually I'm I'm trying to arrange right now. He's coming on my podcast, and I'm uh-huh. trying to arrange like meeting up with him. Like I don't care. Like I'll go to Iceland or whatever. I just think. I want to see how he does it. I want him to teach me how he taps into his mental power to just like totally ignore the environment and just like go into beast mode because it's it's this combination of Zen meditation and breathology and being able to consciously direct blood flow to certain areas of your body. Um, which should come in handy in other situations too, incidentally. <laughs> um, and and just like yeah. defy the environment and. And really, like, overcome Mother Nature almost. I just think yeah. it's very cool. Yeah, I've um, read a couple of articles on that guy. That is just yeah, yeah, it's the crazy. Iceman. Yeah, so that's who I would do, and I consider him to be an endurance athlete. Like oh, he totally. he did a marathon. I think it, it I think it was the Sahara Desert. Uh-huh. It may it may not have been the Sahara Desert, but it was a desert. He did a marathon in the desert, no water, the whole marathon, <laughs> and he just does stuff like this where it's just mind over muscle. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's really cool, and I think he'd be a really interesting guy to just like tap into his whole, you know, secret wow. method. So, and then if I had to choose a non-endurance athlete, that's easy: Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I know he's a yeah, movie, movie, but character. just like you know, him dragging the sled through the Siberian wilderness, and yeah. you know, like doing sit-ups hanging from the rafters, just like like that's my that's my idea of a of a fun day of training right there. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Okay, so that's uh, let's see the 
what's what's what are you doing now after the book's published? What you're not going to go on a on a nationwide tour. You're going to do podcasts, blogs, mm. and and what else? I want to um, race as a professional racer in Spartan events, and that's what I'm training for. I've oh built... no way! Are you serious? Yep, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm dead serious. Oh, I've, I've, I've already this raced a few be... as an elite. Yeah, I'm building a uh, an obstacle course up uh-huh. on my land with tire flips and chain drags and rope climbs and yeah. obstacle walls and uh, traverse walls and sandbag carries. Um, I love the style of training. It's a yeah. li- uh, like I'm still racing for Team Timex as one of their triathletes, and I'm still yeah. doing triathlon, but. I think that uh, you know, like the the number one guy right now in Spartan is is thirty six years old. Uh-huh, it's yeah. a combination of running and strength mm-hmm. and kind of like a willingness to really get into harsh environments. Yeah, and that's perfect. For I me. just I like the I like the nature of it. Yeah. And frankly, um, you know, as as an ex bodybuilder, ex collegiate tennis player a guy who's who's kind of always liked to lift heavy stuff mm-hmm. like i would have to give a lot of that up to get really good at triathlon yeah and even though i have all the tools at my disposal as a as a sponsored athlete with timex like that basically means i i can get anything you know right. wheels yeah, yeah. the best the best bike whatever like i just don't have that internal drive to put in the hours and the training mm-hmm. and the amount of, of aerobic exercise and everything necessary to be a really good professional triathlete yeah. but um I've, I've just kind of uh created this goal of wanting to race as, as like a top level elite um spartan athlete and so i'm actually going through a process in my business right now to kind of you know open the kimono or whatever like i'm backing off on a lot of stuff i'm hiring a lot of kind of like managers i'm i'm backing out of of i can't say which ones but i'm literally just like totally backing out and dropping some of the businesses that i'm running Uh and kind of of just like making life a little bit more simple yeah just just so i can go and you know get my hands dirty and and get out there and train and even spend a little bit more time with my kids and um so yeah there's there's that and doing that and um then the other thing that i'm doing is really focusing hardcore on my uh on my guitar practice and Uh Um, one of my other goals is to start recording uh-huh. and uh, basically putting out some music um, just just for fun. But I, I love music, and it's something that I've kind of left over the past few years yeah. working so much in the online sector. So yeah, I feel like I'm talking about myself a lot now like, <laughs> well, on a couch or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, what's next. The uh, Gosh, quite a few years ago, a friend and I at work started a virtual death metal band and because uh, <laughs> he could play bass and and lead and i can play rhythm and mm. solo a little bit on electric and uh i grew up playing like led zeppelin and hendrix and stuff like that and and metallica you know nice and so we we got you know virtual drum machine and and he used to be my friend used to be in a in a band that that was on tour yeah. and he was a bass player in the band that was on tour so he knows what he's doing yeah and we called oh. ourselves uh death chatter and uh created a a <laughs> some some songs you know they were horrible but it was so much fun man and then we would play them yeah. on my podcast and that's uh, awesome yeah we've got, got a following going i was in a um let me see if i could find it i was i was in a in a like a rock band here uh-huh. um uh, about three years ago we we toured a lot of local spokane bars mm-hmm. here you go let me see if i can let me see if you can hear this i'll open it uh 
Let's see if it actually plays here. Just a second. It's it's opening up the video. This is good podcasting right here. Oh, it here. is, yeah. The awkward <laughs> silence. You can actually hear people uh, leaving the station. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah. while while that is while that's going up. Okay. Yeah. So what's a what's a Spartan course? There's different um, lengths, yeah. right? Is there a professional yeah, length so that you have to do? There's a there's well the the elite start at a certain time, like they start before everybody else, mm-hmm. and and sometimes their obstacles are more difficult. Yeah. Um, the pace is faster, stuff like that, but. You know, like I did. Uh, they, well, they've got a sprint, which is typically uh, four miles with uh, three to four miles with a handful of obstacles. They have a, a super Spartan, which is anywhere from eight to nine miles with twenty plus obstacles. Mm-hmm. They've got a beast, which is twelve to fourteen miles with thirty plus obstacles, and then they've got uh, a, a death race, which is a marathon with you know tons and tons, dozens and dozens of obstacles. Right. So obstacles would include everything from barbed wire crawls to rope climbs to you know um climbing up walls that are you know soaked and greased to mm-hmm. um you know really heavy tire flips to carrying you know buckets full of sand up the side of a ski slope i mean like yeah. just a just a ton of things like a, a combination of strength and and endurance and kind of gutsiness so um, so yeah, but, the, but they're, they're pretty fun and like they, you know, kind of like, um, triathlons, like they've got kids events and they've oh, got, totally, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of a fun, fun little, little way to, to kind of like a, like a fresh change from triathlon in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But then you can use your triathlon endurance knowledge of how to train for a, yeah. a marathon. Yep. Far exactly. better than probably a lot of people can. Yeah. Some, so it's, it's fun. It's edge. like, you know, yeah. like even if you're running like. Like the last one, you know, it was it was eight miles a run, but I mean, like every half mile, you're stopping and just like doing something epic, and then continuing <laughs> on, so you're just toast when you cross the finish line. You're covered in barbed wire punctures and gravel scrapes, and you know, dirt in your teeth. But it's it's yeah. fun. Here, let, here you go. Okay. See if you can hear this. Can you hear yeah, that? Yeah, that's good. And we like we played it like races and stuff too. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. Good job. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, I, that's I, I, that. I'm I'm a bigger fan of like John Meyer and Ben Harper and oh, Jack sure. Johnson yeah. and stuff like that than I am that type of music and, and a little bit of country here and there. But yeah, cool. Yeah, you gotta when you're in a band, you kind of gotta go with whatever they're doing. <laughs> exactly. It was just an outlet catharsis. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. All right. So the book is Beyond Training. It's a real book with a real publisher. Congratulations, man. And I'm a real boy. You're, you're, you're a real boy. Yeah, I'm working with um, uh, Tawny on publishing a book, an ebook. Oh, nice. On, nice. Uh, a, the, uh, the Surfer's Guide to Triathlon. Is what we're Endurance, Endurance Planets, Tawny. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. We're trying to get it done, man. It's, it's hard work because yeah. we're both doing all this crazy stuff so yeah exactly well once you guys push it out i mean let me know if i can help with anything oh, too that'd be great yeah ebook publishing we've got the um book. all the the chapters outlined and the mm-hmm. uh and now it's just knocking out the chapters and actually yeah. a couple of them already written i think so that's awesome yeah awesome yeah um endurance planet actually publishes too 
Oh, cool. They do, uh, they, they've got a publishing arm and, and put out, like, kind of do all the work, the cover design, the layout, the Kindle publishing, all that jazz, and then pay the author royalty. So, Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. She probably knows all that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's like, come on, let's go. Yeah. So, well, all right, man. Well, uh, cool. come back on the show anytime. Uh, would love to uh, fill us in on on uh, what's going on with the with the Spartan stuff. A lot of people are starting to do that, so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll publish a post sometime over at BenGreenfieldFitness.com about what shook up with that whole fat oxidation treadmill test too. So yeah, yeah, I want to check that out. Cool, sweet. Right. Well, thanks, Ben. All right, thanks, Brett. All right, thanks, Ben. Oh, what's going on? <laughs> Offsides. Thanks, Ben. And I think he's going out for some kind of uh, next next biggest trainer contest or something like that. So uh, good luck to him. That's got to be tough stuff to try to figure out how to be successful at. The, um, the interview with Ben is brought to you by the Mountain Madness Half Ironman, Half Iron Distance. And that's the one that's in northern Georgia that I've been talking about, that they actually have a king and, and queen of the mountain because there's um, really extreme climbing in the race. And um, let's see, it's Sunday, May 4th. It's a half iron distance. And again, it's in northern Georgia. And let's see, what do we have? Uh, Zone5events.com. Definitely want to go check that out. It's a very, very challenging <laughs> half. In fact, they say they're going out of their way to make it as challenging as possible. So if you're done going as fast as you can on as flat as you can courses and just trying to get PRs, do uh, do this do this sucker. And like I've said before, I've grown up in that part of the country, and it is beautiful. You definitely want to go and do this race. Okay. Go check them out, Zone 5 Events, 5 the number 5, events.com. Go sign up and then also tell them that Brett from Zentri sent you. All right, we have a few donors. Um, Weston Tanner is a uh, regular donor, and you can do that by going to zentriathlon.com and then um, looking for on the, I think it's the left side of the page, you scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. There's a place where you can donate to the show to help support the show, which is what helps pay for the bandwidth and all the other costs with the show. And then um, there's a way that you can do a one-time donation. All right, I'm back. (laughs) I had a little technical difficulty there. I thought I was recording, and then something happened, and it killed off the uh, recording mode. So anyway, it's now uh, Sunday afternoon. I'm driving through my neighborhood on the way to the pool, and there's little kids riding bikes with their parents behind them. Pretty cool, man. All right, and lots has gone down. I'll get back to the donation things in a minute. Lots has gone down since Saturday morning. Um, We took Kai to the Pinewood Derby. He won his soccer game, and then we took Kai to the uh, Pinewood Derby, and his car got fourth. Oh, squirrel moment. What is that, a 57 Chevy? His Kai got fourth out of, like, uh, probably 30 cars which has to do with weight and aerodynamics and stuff. It's uh, Cub Scout Pinewood Derby cars are so often not about <laughs> the kid building the car. It's about the dads <laughs> and what kind of tricks and engineering they use to make 
the cars win. And then everybody just sits there and pretends like the kid built the car. The kid that won the overall race uh, won everything. Um, looked like he was about <laughs> seven years old. So anyway, the um, then I went for a, uh, a nice bike ride and I did something a little bit different. I'd taken a few days kind of easy. Um, hoping that my, uh, my energy would come back. And while I was paddling on my two hour bike ride, after about half an hour into it, I said, let's quit focusing on the quads. And let's focus on the hamstrings, the back and the calves, the back sides of the legs. And bam, my power went from, uh, it went 20 Watts higher. Let's say 20 to 30 Watts higher. Well, 20 Watts yesterday. And then I ran, I ran fine after a two hour bike ride, ran for an hour brick run. And then um, Sunday, today, I went for um, a repeat of that same bike ride. And remember, Saturday I did four hours total. And uh, so Sunday I go for a repeat of the two-hour bike ride. And I, I bested my yesterday's watts by doing the back part of the legs instead of the uh, quads by... Um, man, like 20 watts or something like 15, 20 watts, same heart rate. And, uh, man, that was nice. Like a huge jump in performance by just thinking about using, um, a different part of the legs, your hamstrings and your glutes and your calves are stronger than your quads and you can use your quads and they'll, um, they have a limiter, a much quicker limiter than, um, the back half of your legs in that they, um, that's a smaller muscle group. So you can only get, you can't get anywhere near as much, um, fuel and oxygen and all the stuff that makes you go fast to the, um, to that muscle because the muscle's smaller, you know? So you use a bigger muscle group, you can, um, fuel it, uh, in perpetuity is a word, I think. But anyway, um, and then if you pay really close attention to a cadence where you can eat and keep fueling your bigger muscle group, well, then you can sustain this kind of higher horsepower output. But anyway, the uh, for hours and hours on end. So I did two hours and then a one-hour run, and the one-hour run was nice. And um, that two-hour bike ride, I put out, I think I averaged 240 watts for two hours. And that's after doing, you know, four hours yesterday and stuff like that. And what's key here is I've got a race coming up in two weeks where the um, last year I averaged 220 watts on the bike. Not 240, but just 220. And oh, I'm about to run a red light, kind of. not. A, oh, shoot. I thought it was going to stay yellow. Anyway, the... Um, there's a lady running with her Jack Russell Terrier. It's cute. The, uh, so last year, I only averaged 220 watts for the bike. And, um, gosh, I averaged like 22, 23 miles an hour. It's like a really flat race. And the um, there's somebody turning left with their right blinker on. That's interesting. So then the... Uh, so now I'm doing test rides with lots of, of load and fatigue on me from... Uh, from previous day's work at 240 watts for nearly the same amount of time 
So that's a big jump. So race day is looking pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. And um, if I uh, knock out this swim this afternoon, then we'll be at uh, 21 hours for the week. I think, I think I'm at 20 so far. And that's, that's a big deal too. We've got Ironman Texas coming up and I need to be hitting uh, mid-20s in hours. So a lot of patience, a lot of not going too hard, a lot of uh, cadence and fueling and making sure I'm doing the right thing and all that good stuff. Oh, and um, Melbourne was last night, this morning, whatever, and uh, it was cool watching the race. And man, Carol and Stefan is a freaking animal. Jeez. So uh, our our uh, our favorite Angela Nath did um, sixth, I think. She got sixth. But for a little while, she was in second place chasing down Stefan, man. And then I, she, uh, I, I'm, I'm extrapolating here. I don't know for sure. But she blew up is what it looks like to me. You know, just going too hard and not eating enough or eating too much and stomach getting upset, whatever. It's a, it's a fine balance with all that stuff. And how many Ironmans has Stefan done? versus how many Ironmans has Nath done, which is two now. <laughs> so so uh, experience uh, really pays off. You know, 30 minutes behind the winner, you do 10 more Ironmans, you're not going to be 30 minutes behind the winner anymore. You're going to have it way more dialed in. So there was all that. Okay, let's go back to um, the donations. Weston Tanner donated... Um, He's got a recurring donation. If you go to the left-hand side of slow of uh, slow twitch of zentrathlon.com, there's a donation box. And then, if you do a one-time donation, um, when you donate, it gives you the option to put in a comment when you do it through PayPal. And we got a uh, wait. Hold on, traffic. Okay, I'm back. We got a donation from Try Todd on Twitter, a one-time donation, and a really nice email, which I won't read the whole thing. But basically, he got a um, he got an unexpected uh, bonus from work, and um, said that this podcast gives you so much value uh, for free about how to train and different ideas and all kinds of stuff that um, that. He uh, wanted to pay back a little bit. See, you don't have to hire a coach. You can listen to a podcast, and then uh, all the information that I give out, you can uh, you know pay what you pay what you feel uh, it was worth. You know, whenever you get around to it, if you got money or not, it's cool. Um, it really helps support uh, Zentri. And I'll give you another tip. So, um, I'll give you two more tips. Make it worth your money. <laughs> the uh, swimming, if you swim every other day, that seems to be just the right amount of uh, swimming for triathlon, okay? And you, you swim until you get tired. And then as you swim, you'll get faster and faster. There's no point in swimming more than about an hour. And um, mix in intervals, you know, sustained periods of a little bit harder effort, and then that'll make you stronger. If you swim every day, then um, you get too tired to do the biking and the running, which is statistically way more important than the swim. And if you swim, uh, if you don't swim every other day, that's not enough frequency for you for it to be worth your time because it takes um, it takes three or more times a week, three and a half times, four times a week 
for you to um, for you to get better at swimming and get competitive. If you if you only swim two times a week, that's not enough. Your body forgets between the different swims. You won't be very good at it. But if you swim uh, if you swim three times a week, that'll hold you. And if you swim four times a week, that'll make you better. That'll advance you. So I found that basically if you swim every other day, um, that gives you just enough rest where you can go back and do it again. And um, your muscles recover enough where you can get in a good swim again and be ready to absorb the work. And then the last thing is the... um, we talk about you know eating too many carbs is bad for you. It'll give you diabetes if you just power down carbs all the time. And um, well, then you should eat more fat for calories because it doesn't seem to do that. Well, where do you get healthy fats, man? I got a trick for you. So you go to the grocery store and you find holy guacamole and W H O L L Y holy guacamole. It's organic, super nice, healthy guacamole, which is crazy high in fat. And you cut the tip of the corner of what you get the you get the kind their their packaging where it's squeezy bags they look like ziploc bags and you cut the corner off of the um of the guacamole so it's like a, a hole the size of a ballpoint pen would fit through and then um you squeeze out the guacamole that you want and you can eat a mouthful at a time and um, then make sure that a little glop of guacamole covers the hole when you squeeze it out uh, when you're done, and that'll seal the container. It'll seal the bag so that um, the guacamole won't go brown. And you can keep guacamole for two weeks like that. It's really, really cool. Okay, so with, um, with avocados, which is guacamole basically, you're getting... Um, a healthy fat that is um, got a ton of fiber in it, which is also really good for you. And it's a plant-based fat, so it's got uh, vitamins and nutrition. And if you're worried about animal fats and all that other stuff, then you're totally in the clear. It's super, super cool. Super cool. Okay. Now, before we get to the training log, which is full of more stuff like that, let's uh, mention trainer view which is a nice compliment to Trainer Road. Trainer View is a Google Street Map based, uh, Street View based training. And if you get the pro version with discount code either Zen or Zen Try, try one or the other, but you get uh, 10 bucks off for the year for the pro version. And I train on it all the time to uh, train races, race courses, and uh, different cool stuff to make training more entertaining while on the bike. It'll work on the iPad, it'll work on your laptop. And again, the pro version. You can save uh, where you are and what you're doing and stuff. So it's pretty cool. All right. So that's it. Let's get started with the training log and the second half of Strong Like Bull training camp in Spain. It works, man. You definitely ought to go. It's super cool. All right. Here we go. The training log. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Cunelli. Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, 
We all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! I'm not the one who's so far away when I feel the snake bite into my brain. Hey, dudes. I am in Antikara. Training log! I'm trying to find the pool. <laughs> John forgot his swimsuit. So I'm walking to the pool by myself. I am next to the bull ring, which is a real bull ring. And it's famous. It's the one in the Madonna videos, I guess. I, I think I've mentioned it before. I think I'm going the right way. Actually, I have no idea. But anyway, I thought I'd record a little bit while I wander around. And what was my point? Oh, yesterday, day before, we're driving. Ah, I think this is it. This is the way. We, um, we were passing on the highway. We were passing uh, a park. And, you know, they have those, that fitness equipment in a park that's just kind of there. And has, um, you know, like pull-up bars and stationary bicycles, but it's all outdoors. And in Texas, nobody ever uses it. It's just sitting there. Well, in Spain, everybody's using it. It's really crazy. It's super, super cool. Oh, okay. I'm at the pool. Junta de Andalusia. And I'm ready to go swim. Is it open? It's open. All right. Out. All right. I am right now driving a rental car in Spain. Thank God we drive on the right side of the road here. And because uh, it'd be a little crazy. Everything's in kilometers, different signs, the whole setup. Let's see. Uh, and roundabouts. Lots and lots of roundabouts, which there's a, a way to drive roundabouts because you got to merge and get in and get out of a roundabout. It's a lot of fun, actually. And we went flying, we go flying through these little towns with roundabouts uh, on bicycles downhill. And uh, so yesterday's bike ride, more of the same, just crazy vertical, massive climbs. Christine, holistic guru, I've witnessed, some, sometimes you see something that you realize is really, really special. And I saw Christine do a couple of climbs on the bike that I, I realized I was... I was in the presence of, of something amazing, um, like true amazing ability coming out. And uh, wow, I, I couldn't keep up. And if I want to, I think that I could keep up with just about anybody. I, I would bury myself to do it. And um, I held back because there's more, there's more to do, you know, throughout the camp. So I didn't want to totally exhaust myself. But man, I was pushing really, really hard. And I would <clears throat> come around a corner and she wasn't just like still ahead of me the same distance, but like exponentially ahead of me and just still going and, and the distances just kept getting longer and farther and farther apart. And I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. So she's talking about going pro and I think, wow easily could do it. His, her talent is unbelievable. I was so impressed. And um, just naturally gifted. 
the presence of just awesomeness right there. Anyway, uh, went swimming this morning, and I'm a little worn out. I'm, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. And uh, but yesterday's bike ride did um, uh, like three hours, three and a half hours, something like that, and it was. Uh, I'm doing really well, and I'm guesstimating that out of everybody here at the camp, I've put in the most volume, which is perfect for me, uh, because people take breaks, and stuff happens, or you leave with a shorter, an easier group, and stuff like that, and I'm trying to do the hardest stuff, but I'm now at 17 and a half hours for the week in like four days, and yeah, four days, maybe five days, and um my body's starting to, I'm just now starting to get like a little stressed, <laughs> which is not going to be cool because today is Pico, uh, Pico de Vuelta. Anyway, it means weather vane in Spanish and it's, um, uh, a mountain climb. It's the highest road. It's the highest paved road in Spain and, uh, 11,000 feet. And we're going to climb it from the bottom all the way to the top. It's about a two-hour ride of no coasting, just straight up. Average, I think it's average 6% or average 8% grade. Hold on, i got to shift. And i got to watch out. You'll get a, a ticket here if you use the cell phone while driving. So i gotta, I got to be careful. And we're almost to the house. So anyway, leaving the pool, we needed to pick up another van um, to get all the bikes to the bottom of this mountain because it's like an hour drive. Hour, no, it's probably a two-hour drive. Hour and a half drive from the house. And uh, let me catch up with John here. So we found the Enterprise and rented a van. So now we have two vans. And it's a beautiful day. So uh, it was... John's driving the van back to the house, this extra van, and I'm driving the uh, rental car that John was driving that we drove to the pool in. And on the swim, um, legs are pretty well toasted after yesterday. Oh, yesterday's uh, bike, uh, as soon as I drank a beer, a Modelo something, San, Mig San Miguel, San Miguel, and then uh, got on the run and ran 23 minutes immediately after the bike ride, which was nice. And um, so yesterday was an hour swim, mountainous cycling up some crazy stuff, and then uh, uh, then a 20-something minute run, and then we had a barbecue last night, and then with the big group. And uh, then went to bed as early as I could. Woke up this morning, another swim, and then today's bike ride. And once you get to the top of this mountain, it's supposed to be like your uber badass. If you, um, the eventually the road gets covered up in snow, and then if you try to make it all the way to the top on foot, then you're super badass. So imagine. <laughs> biking for two hours up the side of a mountain at 8% grade and then saying, okay, well now we hit snow and you can't bike anymore 
it's time to run. So that's going to be uh, what I try to do, try to do today. Um, I am, my after yesterday trying to keep up with Christine, my lungs are, I can tell they're a little scorched. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're um, inflamed a little bit after uh, uh, VO2 max in it up the side of that freaking mountain and uh, twice this other, these other mountains anyway oh and we uh, we had lunch by a lake this beautiful beautiful lake and I actually got in the water and the water was probably about 55 degrees or something maybe 50 and I I uh, walked up to my knees and then hopped in and then got back out again and then dried in the sun everybody's like holy crap you're crazy but man every time I get near water like that I, I have to get in it's a thing with me all right, I'm at the house. I'm going to eat. And uh, we'll be back later, probably in the riding with Emily and the rest of the crew out to um, do this bike ride. All right, out. All right. I am coming to you from about 30,000 feet above Spain. <laughs> Possibly over France, actually. France. And I'm in a Spanish airliner, actually Air Europa. And I'm in the uh, first class, well, business class uh, seating area. And uh, I'm actually able to spread out nice and, and uh, nice and nice and long. And I love the legroom. And I am so exhausted. Hold on just a second. We got up at 4 o'clock this morning to drive from Antiquera to Malaga uh, Airport. And that sucked. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so tired. The... Uh, trying to gather my thoughts here um, went to bed around 11 o'clock last night after boxing up both bikes trying to eat something um, today's Saturday uh, Thursday was the beginning of trying to just eat of starting to eat uh, junkier food because you're trying to get in the calories and the traveling schedule and the franticness of getting everything done. Not frantic, but you know, just time compression to get everything done meant starting to reach for um, chips and crap food and Cokes and stuff like that for quick energy. And you can start to feel it. Uh, it's uh, shit fuel. So you can start to feel not as hot, but you can see why people who are under stress and busy, 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 and eat that way. Um, have a poor quality health, poor quality diet, and um, and that's only you know a small portion of what we we're what I was eating wasn't very hot, wasn't very good. Um, lots of lots of the food there was um, lots of the food Thursday and Friday was plenty good. Handmade, homemade pizza after we were done with the mountain climb yesterday, you know, salads and things like that. So 
but it's you know filling the gaps with uh, chips instead of fruit, for example. Because you're in a van and you're rushing through a town trying to grab food on the way to because you got to start a bike ride and everybody's late and stuff like that. Anyway, that's what happens. So we yesterday we drove to Granada again, um, and I remember the name. It's the La Alhambra, is the name Buenos of the días, Moorish castle. Estamos uh, listos para empezar nuestro descenso al aeropuerto de Charles de Gaulle. De momento estamos batiendo a 30.000 pies, equivalente a unos 8.000 metros, a unas 9.000 metros de altura. Y eh, nuestra ruta de hoy nos ha llevado a despegar por la pista 31 de Málaga y mantener rumbo a nordeste para la ciudad de Jaén, de ahí procede a Madrid, de Madrid a San Sebastián, San Sebastián, Burdeos, Poitiers. Y finalmente París, donde estamos tomar tierra a las 9 horas local, a unos 25 minutos antes de la hora prevista de llegada. El tiempo en París, pues una mañana fría con 6 grados y con la visibilidad algo reducida debido a la bruma. Nada más, espero que hayan disfrutado del vuelo. Voy a decir esto en inglés en un minuto. Maybe. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Captain speaking. Welcome aboard. We are uh, maintaining our pre-initial descent altitude of uh, 30,000 feet, equivalent to 9,300 uh, meters. And our route today uh, have taken us uh, takeoff from runway 31 at uh, Malaga Airport and then maintain a uh, northeast heading to our flights, the city of Jaén, uh, from them uh, Madrid. Uh, we proceeded to San Sebastián, Bordeaux, Poitiers, and finally Paris, where we estimate to land at Charles de Gaulle Airport at 9 local time, uh, 20, 25 minutes ahead of the scheduled time of arrival. The weather at destination, uh, cool morning here, uh, 6 degrees Celsius, and the visibility is reduced uh, due to uh, the fog. Uh, not much anyway. Uh, mm. uh, thank you for your attention. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed your flight. And thank you for choosing Aeroma. So, um, by the way, I've not seen a single person in shorts. <laughs> so weird. Uh, okay. Um, so, just above Granada is the start of the climb we did yesterday. And this was average 6, 7, 8% grade for 18 miles uphill and we started where it was perfect temperatures it was you know 65 degrees sunny and you hop on your bike and you pedal a little ways to um, and I'm talking maybe a kilometer to um, uh, the start of the of the actual climbing she's going to say all this in English in a second and uh, I'm not sure what's going on anymore <laughs> 
Oh, okay, so that was French. So that was Spanish, then English, and then French. Uh, oh, I think we got some uh, turbulence, so fasten your seatbelts. Putting on my seatbelt. So I, I uh, start this climb, uh, and the first thing that happens is my uh, my rear wheel tire whatever starts rubbing against the brake and the frame of my bike and I'm going to climb this thing uphill <laughs> so I stop right then and I go nope we're not doing that and uh, we work Sean and I work on my bike a little bit and get the uh, wheel working better and what did we do next uh, started climbing and the first part of the climb, the first, uh, I'm trying to remember, 18 miles, so let's say that's uh, 30K. Uh, so let's go back to miles. The first uh, seven, six, seven miles is the steepest, and it's, it's ridiculously steep. Um, and I'm on a triathlon time trial bike and it's geared for flat ground. So my littlest gear is a uh, 39 in the front and a 27 in the back, maybe a 28, which is not much. And um, it was so freaking difficult. And I'm having to give it everything I've got to get up over the, over the pedals every single stroke six miles seven miles eight miles whatever up and it was freaking unbelievable guys like how both how beautiful it was and how hard it was and this is at the end of a training week you know of really intense stuff a lot of other climbing and I was doing what they call the paper boy which is where you weave from side to side on the road to uh, effectively lengthen the road to, to effectively make it a little bit easier and so I did that for a lot of the um, first the first climb it's called the quarry is the first part of the climb and it's on the Tour de Spain and um, I think and I, I can't express to you guys how hard it was at one point, I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get off and walk. It's too freaking hard. And um, and I got up and over finally that part. And you just settle in and just go. It's gonna. But at one point, you're just like, well, I'll just go as slow as I possibly can. But then you're like, I don't have the gearing to go as slow as I possibly can. You're standing and pulling on the handlebars as hard as you can to get up and over the gearing. 
Um, and then when I finally, finally cleared that part, which again was one of the hardest things I've ever done, finally cleared that part. It, it, it wasn't just that it was hard, like physically, it was technically extremely difficult. Um, uh, not falling over. And there's cars, not very many, but there's some cars. Then there's like cattle and ibex, like crossing the road and things. It was just crazy. And uh, it was the biggest challenge in cycling that I've ever seen. And then um, finally cleared that section. And at the top of that section is where John proposed to Christine which was really cool and I, you heard that correctly John proposed to Christine and uh, that's going to be a wedding <laughs> and um, at that point it was because my gearing was my gearing was so wrong for that climb and my bike's heavy because it's a time trial bike um, I had burned through um, all my all my fuel. Phoenix? Yes. Thank you. Process. Um, I burned through almost all my fuel, and uh, I was trying to reserve the last little bits of it um, just in case I needed. You know, in case I, I don't know, went into a coma or something. And that, uh, what I noticed was my heart rate dropped. Um, oh man, my cadence on some of this stuff must have been like 40. <laughs> like trying to turn over the gears. Pulling up on the pedals like super hard, up and over, and uh, leaning the bike way over to the side. Every time I would lean the bike way over to uh, get more leverage, the uh, wheel would rub, which would slow me down. <laughs> it was really like in the what they call being in the box. It was uh, pretty pretty intense. You clear that section. Um, and then you got to it's it's only that steep again barely for a few points for the rest of the climb so a lot of the rest of the climb uh, the gearing my smallest gear was fine and um, I just pedal along um, but I I was toasted you know like uh, my heart rate was now had dropped down to 118 and I was putting out just under 200 watts. But on the climb, I was putting out like 230, 240. My heart rate was uh, 140, 145, 150, 160. And that's where I burned through all my, all my, uh, yeah, all my fast acting fuel because I was going totally anaerobic to power up that thing, just pouring in sweat. And then, um, anyway, so I wanted to talk about this for a second. Um, once I, I realized that I was uh, bonking and I was out of fuel, 
and I still had a long ways to go. I, but the gearing was going to be easier from for the rest of the climb. I just uh, settled back into pedaling easy, and if you slow your pace down and keep things under control and don't try too hard, um, you can bonk and run out of uh, energy, but then start running on uh, body fat for fuel. And so that's what I was doing, and um, to- totally do what's. I've mentioned before that uh, you can do that. If uh, you run out of fuel, if you're patient and calm down and go a little bit slower, you can um, switch to totally, uh, totally body fat. And um, it's not fun, but it's definitely doable. And if you know that that's what's going on, and um, it's like where you, where you get so hungry that you're not hungry anymore. It's like your body switched over and goes, okay, we're going to do things on body fat now. And so I'm cruising along at, uh, yeah, one, 118 heart rate for quite a while. And there's a, uh, a van that's following and... Um, Sean's driving the van. Then I ask him a few times, "Hey, uh, do you um, do you have any food? I need food." <laughs> and uh, he said, "No, the food's in the other van that's up at the top of the hill that's waiting for us." And uh, that sucked. <sighs> and then. Um, now we're on a little bit more major of a road. That first section I was telling you about that was so difficult was a narrow road uh, with hardly any traffic on it. Um, and that's why it was so technical and so vertical. And um, now after the major climb, we had uh, merged with a with A395. And it's got more traffic. There's a ski resort town at the uh, top of the mountain. And so there's you know, a reasonable amount of traffic going up and down with a shoulder. And we start pedaling, uh, start pedaling up and uh, up that. And um, uh, Emily had chosen to, uh, well, she was advised to not pedal, not ride the first part because it was so difficult. And if she wanted to have a nice time, that they would drop her off um, about halfway up the mountain. There we go. And then we'll, we'll be in French here next. So Emily was advised to uh, ride the second half. And so they put her out of the van and uh, I eventually caught her. 
And I told her I was bonking, and she's like, oh, do you want a cliff bar? I've got an extra cliff bar. I'm like, yes. So I ate that, and we stopped and took photos of us and the scenery. And then um, I rode with her just a little bit. And um, with the uh, extra cliff bar, I was out of Amarito bars. The extra cliff bar, I uh, uh, my, my energy came back up although I was still riding very conservative and I started singing to myself and that's a really good sign if you're singing to yourself then uh, you're feeling good and now I'm riding by myself again uh, Team Garmin was on the on the mountain right oh, it's a famous climb that uh, lots of people do um and it's really, really twisty. And I was definitely getting frustrated here and there with everybody was that's never climbed it before. Uh, it's a big group. And some, some have climbed it before and some haven't. When is this thing going to end? Like, it's crazy. We, um, then the snow started uh, around on the ground. Um, rode up to snow level. And then, after a while, rode up to above the tree line. And now it's more snow and no trees. And then now it's, after a while, it's snow up to the edge of the road. And then after a while, it's uh, snow um, starting to get... Thank you snow starting to get um, knee-high on the side of the road, uh, plowed, you know, so there's it's like a wall of snow. Then after a while, the snow starts to get waist-high on the side of the road. And the, um, you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, it can't get any better than this. Well, then the snow gets shoulder-high on the side of the road. So it's plowed, you know, the road is a two-lane road and it's plowed, so there's, yeah. Um, and uh, while, re- while pedaling, I could reach out and touch snow with my hand. And at first I thought that was a cool idea, but then it made my hands cold and I thought, that's dumb. And I'm riding with uh, just a regular cycling kit and uh, then, what on top of that? Uh, a cycling vest, which is real thin, and a uh, skull cap, which is... That's it. Because uh, you're working so hard to go uphill, you um, any more than that. I could have used some arm warmers after at that point. And then the cloud cover started to roll in, and then climbing and climbing and climbing, and then eventually at the uh, come around to the top and Jasmine. And Jeff, I'm trying to remember who was standing there. Eugene, Jasmine, and Eugene were standing there. And I asked him. There's like a, a little turn, and like now it's just so much snow that it's unfreaking believable. And there's people skiing. We're above the ski resort, and there's people skiing below us, and uh, way above the ski lifts. And um,
I asked them, I go, is this it? And they go, yep, you're done. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> it was so freaking brutal. And so I laid my bike against the snow and I took a photo of that, the triathlon bike with a disc wheel in the snow after climbing 18 miles uphill is what it ended up being. Average six, seven, eight percent grade, whatever it was. And uh, it took me two hours and 36 minutes. And uh, uh, definitely, definitely could have gone faster. Jasmine did it in just over two hours. Um, but this is at the end of a big training week, and I'm not trying to beat anybody's time or anything like that. I was just trying, and I bonked, a, you know, after the first part was so steep, I blew through all my energy. Not on purpose, but just because that's what it took to get over the pedals on uh, on some of that stuff. And um, if I had uh, different gearing, easier gearing, I would have had a, a faster time because I wouldn't have blown through all my fuel uh, going anaerobic, having to pull on the pedals so hard. Anyway, so it's just physics. So then. Um, Hey, here's Paris, looking out the window. So then I uh, went into the van and ate something. Oh, I ate Emily's Snickers bar, which she got very upset about later. I'd forgotten it was for her. <laughs> There's a Snickers bar in my food bag, and I ate it. That was a mistake. Anyway... And then I threw on some running shoes and I ran up and down where we parked. It wasn't even a parking lot. This is the side of the road where we parked. Um, I ran up and down that section of road. And it was vertical. It's probably about uh, five, six percent grade right there. I ran up and down it uh, for just over 10 minutes for a mile. So I did a mile brick run at, I thought we were at 11,000 feet, but we might not have been. But anyway. Oh, that's another thing. Oh, so that was a uh, one-hour swim, 18-mile bike ride up the side of a mountain for two and a half hours, and then a 10-minute brick run, which the brick run was actually not that bad. And uh, when I was riding with and passing Emily on the uh, climb, she asked me if I was having trouble breathing, and I was like, no, I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about it until she mentioned it, so I guess not. And I thought that was really weird. I guess there's a, a fitness thing where your where altitude doesn't bother you, even though you're cycling at crazy altitude and running at uh, crazy altitude. So, um, so after that, more people started to show up as they wrapped up the ride, and uh, we piled back in the vans and the truck and. Uh, in the cars and then drove back to uh, Auntie Kara and that took a long time it's like an hour and a half two hours or something like that and everybody's trying to sleep and everybody's like really buzzing though about what we just did it was a crazy freaking climb <sighs> so then it was you know get home pack up at, at sunset got home back to the house the ranch house and then packed everything started packing up everything and trying to box up bikes 
which after doing what we did was um, tough. <laughs> really, really tough. But I have to say that that bike ride um, was one of the most intense things that I've ever done in my life. Like, I had no idea it was going to be that hard and that long. I mean, I had a feel. And I, you know, felt like it was doable. But the way that we kept not knowing where the top was and that it just kept going and going and going and going was so, so crazy. And, uh, I... I can't wait to tell people <laughs> that that know what I'm talking about. Pico, Pico de Vuelta, de Veneta, Weather Vane in Spanish is the name of the mountain. Uh, the highest paved road in Europe that I rode up it on a tri bike <laughs> with a disc wheel <laughs> with 3928 gearing. And uh, Sean was like, that was pretty freaking impressive, dude, that you did that. And um, uh, then, uh, yeah, to tell somebody that knows what that is, say I did it on a triathlon bike. I even rode sections where it would level out just briefly. I'd get in the arrow bars. It just shifts better because your hand, your hands are on the shifters. Anyway, the um, that I did all that on a tri bike, and then I ran a mile at the top afterwards. Was uh, Super, super cool. And I survived. So um, right now, depending on um, what I do, today's Saturday morning, and flying back to uh, the USA, um, we save a bunch of time uh, because we're ahead here in Spain. Um, If I have the energy, I might run or something like that tomorrow. I'm already at uh, 21 and a half, I think, hours for the week. And we still got a lot of weekend left, so we'll see. Once I uh, started feeling a little bit overtrained, I kind of slowed things down a little bit and um, backed off the pace. So I'm hoping next, uh, when we get a moment, we'll ask Emily what it was like climbing that thing. It's very, very scenic. So we'll get her input. And also about the Snickers bar. All right, out, bang. We're landing in Paris. All right, I'm here with the beautiful Emily Rhodes, who's checking her blood sugar now that we've gotten off the plane. And they've Delta has lost both of our bikes and my suitcase. So now Delta has lost my bike both ways. I'm sure you want to be recording. I've... I'm in the whatever stage of loss of just giving in. Emily's contacts are stuck to her eyes. Oh, I should say we are in America. We're in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul at the airport, which is a very special part of America. Oh, Emily. So Emily's going to take some insulin boluses, as she calls it, every time. And I want to ask Emily about two things. Can we do that? No, we're not. 
she's tapping away at her thing. Okay, you ready? What? What's the question? This is not the best time to record right now. I, I want to sit down and put coffee. Okay, we're we're sitting. Tell me about the climb of the mountain yesterday. It's freaking crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. It was sunny and warm at the bottom of the mountain, and we ended in a snowstorm, and it was foggy where you couldn't even see in front of your face. And I got, I mean, it was, you got, they dropped me off You got dizzy. They dropped me off halfway up. I did half of what y'all did. And it was, it was, it was still very hard for me, but I did it. And then, um, yeah, I kept, I kept getting really short of breath. And then like after I was done until we went to bed last night, every time I stood up, I got really dizzy. So apparently that has to do with the altitude because Jasmine said the same thing. And since Jasmine's a pro and she had that, so I'm not a pro yet. She's working on her pro card. I I would say she's qualified to be a pro. No, you got to get your card. Hey, she climbed that the whole thing in two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was just one day. Thank you. Anyway, so what's the other question? So it was an awesome ride, but it was really cold. Something special happened on the ride. Something special? Oh yes. Hold on, Emily just shoved the microphone out of the way so she can get her diet coke. <laughs> I told you this is not the best time to record. How many days? Did, wait, wait. How many days did you go without a diet coke and like before four. you broke down? Like, like four, and then I saw that someone had bought a two-liter diet coke, and it was in the kitchen downstairs. I was like, "Who got this?" Okay. Anyway, so, um, and on the ride, John and John proposed to Christine, and it was really, really special. Yeah. And he like hand designed the ring and everything, and it was really awesome. So his last name Hirsch means deer in German, I think. And and uh, so he got a deer skull that's on a black. It's gold, but it's black in the gold. Dumb, but it's really pretty. And uh, yeah, it's like an endless serpent, but it's a deer head, and it's like it's a really special guy to them made it and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, you'll have to interview her about it on the show, like when y'all do like an interview after they finish the second camp. And he yeah. said he was debating if he should propose to her at the camp that me and you were going to be at, or next week, and. Um, he decided so that when, when we were here so we could be excited for her. Yeah. So would you recommend this camp to other people? Oh, totally. I mean, it, what did you lot. like about it? Well, I, I just came, obviously, not having done hardly anything at all since my half Ironman in October. So for me, it was the chance to go to Spain with my husband, you know, and other friends that we knew. Like, two, uh, we knew... John and Christine and Tammy and, Tammy and, Sean. and Sean. We knew all them. <clears throat> and so, and just get to hang out and see some amazing stuff. And I did what I could. And I never felt pressured. You know, if I, you pick and choose what you want to do, you know. And um, the from what we understood from the people that came last year, that um, they've improved just since last year. And so they were very excited about that. I mean, for me, I, I just wanted to, to do what I could and be happy. You were all you know, wanting to get major training in, and you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. At one point yesterday, you go, I'm a little overtrained, so I don't know <laughs> how I could do on going up. I was like, whatever. Oh, at, you think? After five days? Yeah. Yeah. Right, I mentioned on the show earlier, I started just getting short of breath at low altitude just and doing nothing, and that heart's racing. That's a sign you're overtrained a little bit. So yeah. I went up the hill very, very patiently, but and try not to kill myself, but at the bottom of it, there's really no other way. Except to kill yourself to get over that first part. What did you think about how steep that was? It was very steep. 
Emily's jamming eye drops into her eyes. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up and talk to Emily more later when she's put away the makeup counter that she's laid out here on the table at Chili's. <laughs> All right, out. All right, we are in the Zentri Mobile Studios. And we are driving to the pool again. Monday morning. And let's see. We got back Saturday night. Um, there was time change of an hour, you know, because of spring forward or whatever. And then, um, what did we do after that? Uh, but we gained seven hours, uh, by, uh, flying from Spain time zone to uh, central U S time zone and, uh, suitcases, bike box, uh, didn't make it. Uh, my suitcase didn't make it. Emily's bike box didn't make it. So uh, Sunday, got up, and um, I took Kai with me. I didn't do anything all day Saturday. You know, you're just sitting in an airplane. And Saturday was a long Saturday because of all the time stuff. And uh, so Sunday, went out and uh, ran um, a couple hours and ended up with 23 and a half hours for the week, which is really nice. And uh, the first run I ran with Kai, we went to uh, some mountain bike trails, and he mountain biked and I ran, which ends up being a nice comparable pace. And then he gets outdoors time and nature, and so do I. And it was cool being back in the Texas um, uh, uh, realm of the world of what it feels like, and you know the weather and the terrain and stuff and then um, Spain again is like West Texas that part of Spain that we were in is like West Texas with uh, barren mountains and it's real pretty but uh, let's see the um, what happened after that uh, so trail running in the morning and then uh, run with the dog who was a complete spasmatron in the uh, in the evening afternoon evening and in between, we went to Freebirds, and um, and after that, went to the local airport where the airlines had shipped our bike boxes in my bag, and they were there, so it wasn't too much trouble to go get them, although it's still a huge pain in the ass. And they need to dis- put disclaimers on your luggage that lately, in the past decade, we have decided that we really don't think it's that important to get your luggage to places on time with you, and we consider it to be totally normal for your luggage to show up hours to a day after you get there, completely inconveniencing you for whatever trip you were taking in the first place. So, I remember saying, I am done traveling with my bike, man. I only want to do triathlons where if I go somewhere, I'm going to rent a freaking bike. I am not freaking taking a bike anywhere. Of course, I'm saying that, and then I'll, I'll do the whole thing all over again. But anyway, <clears throat> a bike box, a hard case bike box is definitely a, a nice investment. So, let's see. Did all that. Um, uh, with nice spacing and timing and enough rest and relaxation and pretending like you don't have a job, which I did for a week... I found it actually totally doable to get in pro-level uh, training, um, you know, like hour-wise. <laughs> a little short on the speed. But, you know, 23, hour, 23 and a half hours, and I feel fine. I'm going swimming the next day, you know. 
Um, it'll eventually catch up with me, probably. I don't need some more time off, but I'm not that worried about it. I'm trying to merge with traffic right here. And let's see. I, for, I forgot to mention one time when I was climbing the mountain. Um, oh, yeah. Um, well, I was climbing the mountain, and uh, people leaned out of their car and yelled, Animal! Which they do, you know, to encourage you. And what was the thing? Um, I was looking at my numbers uh, for that climb, and at times, on the steepest parts of the climbs, my cadence was 38. That's how hard it was turning over the cranks. 38, sometimes 35, 36, but this, uh, you know that was pretty rare. But 38, and but 38 and putting out 250 watts. So. <laughs> If you have a power meter, gear your bike down to where you put out 250 watts at 38 cadence and imagine trying to do that. That's how steep that was. And uh, and then, you know, if you stop, you're going to fall over or fall into traffic. So you got to keep going. And that's at the beginning of the climb. You know, that's the first third of the climb. That's how, It wasn't like that the entire way of that, but just at times you know it's like holy crap that's cool i love downloading data and going through it to see what you're capable of or what you had to do it's kind of inspirational and i think that's it so i'm headed to the pool um yesterday saw an article um by the total immersion guy which i don't totally disagree with i do at times but not totally um about technique and and uh, you know in the pool technique is king not not fitness um it's combination but once you get up to a a reasonable speed if you want to get any faster then it's all technique because if you work harder your technique comes apart and then it just creates even more drag it's exponentially more drag as you um as you go faster so drag becomes the the biggest problem so you want to swim slick and um, I posted a video of Soon Yang swimming the 1500, and somebody and he breathes every time on his right side. And somebody asked me if I breathe like that, and I said, "Well, yeah, you know." Uh, and then um, and he's doing a two beat kick, <laughs> and at the end he does a six beat kick and a and I don't know how often he was breathing, but he was like a motorboat. But only the last like 50 50 meters, you know. Um, and breaks the world record. And so, hold on, I'm taking a sip of coffee. Mm. Came back and our coffee maker was broken. It's the worst thing ever. And uh, breathing single-sided, right? So he breathes on, on his right side and on occasion would breathe on his left side. Well, the... Um, The, he was taking 27 strokes per 50, I think. And the um, it looks like effortless, but of course he's working hard. But the, um, the thing is, okay, so taking a breath of air, you rotate your head up for, for air, and it creates a huge amount of drag and slows you down to take a breath. So you want to minimize that. Well, if you minimize it too much, then you're not getting enough oxygen in for your swimming, right? You want to, you don't want to be oxygen deprived. So there is a curious situation where 
if you get really, really efficient, you don't have to take us like he's swimming next to other swimmers who have a higher stroke rate than he does a higher frequency a higher rpm but he's so efficient he doesn't need to take that many strokes because he has less drag he doesn't need to take strokes as often to go as fast or faster than the other guys so now he's taking strokes less often and so when he does take a breath the freak and he takes a breath on every right side because his turnover rate's a little bit slower it's effectively almost like breathing bilaterally because um, if he had a faster turnover rate to get the same amount of air, he'd have to breathe. Um, yeah, he'd have to breathe every other side. So I just thought that was really curious that you can get away with uh, breathing on one side if you're really, really sleek in the water. It's pretty cool. And it all goes back to my theory of Everybody's a little bit different, and of course there's an optimal way, but you need to find the fastest way for you. And um, Brett Sutton, the coach of the coaches, um, I love his, his uh, method of um, a stopwatch. And let's figure out what's fastest for you. And try to speed it up, try different things. And in the end, it's the speed that you, that you come up with that's the king and uh, <clears throat> should always be doing that you know this this one technique may be theoretically better than another but if it's faster then um, then you ought to work on that with the stopwatch okay that's it I'm headed into the pool we're just going to swim for an hour and we'll see when we get there we'll do a little bit of zen and kind of feel it out and see when we get there what uh, what we end up doing Cool. All right. Out, Bing. All right. Swim is over, and that was really interesting. Um, I timed myself every 15 minutes to see the speed I was going, and um, I actually got faster on my last quarter as I got smarter about applying power. And um, I swam two point. Uh, I swam 2.3 miles on the dot in an hour. And if I swam with the same technique and force that I swam on the last quarter, I would have swam 2.4 something miles. So uh, it's really cool to measure like what you're doing and compare it versus uh, time. And so technique and force and smoothness and, and look for the fastest way. So I'm, I'm excited because I only swam three times last week and I did all that traveling and I didn't, haven't slowed down statistically significantly, and uh, because it was kind of a light swim week, so everything is good. And now I'm at back at W to the ERK. I need to eat something. Oh, during the swim, I actually fueled with Hornet juice. I stopped every 15 minutes, stopped the watch, and took a sip of uh, of water mixed with Hornet juice mixed with water, and uh, used that as fuel during my swim. And that's really good stuff, man. I could feel it. So nice. And uh, you can get Hornet Juice at zentriathlon.com, and there's a link to Hornet Juice on the side. It's a it's an energy powder that's mostly uh, protein. Well, it's got protein in it, and uh, it metabolizes body fat. It's really good stuff. So anyway, that's it. Out, bang. All right, dudes. I am leaving my house 
I live really close to work, so I got in a quick bike ride at lunch. And I'm on my way to swing by Freebirds and pick up my burrito that I ordered online <laughs> while I was on the bike. <laughs> so that uh, I can take it to work and then eat it while I'm at the computer. And, oh, there's an 18-wheeler here I got to merge with. I'm going to get behind them and draft. Save me a little bit of gas in my gas-guzzling Xterra. So I was watching the Abu, Abu Dhabi uh, triathlon. Oh my God, what happened up here on the freeway? Something on fire? Anyway, the uh, Abu Dhabi triathlon uh, YouTube link to the whole thing live. It's like three and a half hours long. It makes for great uh, trainer or treadmill YouTube watching. Um, and this is the race where um, uh, Jody Swallow uh, took an extra lap on the race course so they go around a Formula One track of, uh, three times and then head out on a road and then come back it's it's halfway between an Ironman and a half Ironman uh, distance race so um, it's medium long and uh, Jody took f from what I understand Jody took four laps around the um, the uh, race course and this is something that happens to people I've experienced this <laughs> on a very rare occasion believe me but where you're out in front and people assume that there's no way you're winning that, or that you're that fast because they haven't seen anybody else yet so do an extra lap <laughs> and uh, anyway that sucks and the difference was for her I think something like three thousand dollars or four or five thousand dollars uh, between fourth place and third place, which she got uh, by having to do an extra lap around the um, the race course. Theoretically, if she would have moved up to third. But anyway, um, so I was watching that on the uh, treadmill, no, bike trainer, and just getting in volume. Um, I'm not sure what to say about this yet. We'll probably talk about it more in future episodes. I'm just I'm not in a place to talk about it too much yet. This podcast, uh, people take it as uh, you know the training bible on what to do and what not to do sometimes, and I'm not quite sure what to say about it yet. But I'm getting more I'm getting in more volume um, coming up for Ironman Texas, and I can definitely feel a difference in just going for straight up volume and scaling back. I'll talk more about that in future episodes. we got lots of time until Ironman Texas. and um, But it definitely has a different feel. Um, the problem is it's just scheduling, getting it in. It's really painful trying to find the time, but I think that's the difference, is who's willing to find the time. And, um, and then also the fueling, how much to eat and all that stuff. And, you know, does the stuff where it's like train for an Ironman and only 10, nine to 12 hours a week, um, whether that's actually doable or not based on, um, some research I've been doing and different body systems, you know, there's fueling and then there's strength and then there's just durability and you can't train durability in nine to, for an Ironman in 9 to uh, 12 hours a week. I think we'll go into it, yeah, definitely in detail on future episodes. So, Oh, but I did get in a great swim this morning. 
and um, I did a full Ironman swim in about 59 minutes, so I'm, I'm maybe 58 and a half. I'm uh, well under what it takes to do an Ironman swim, and I did it using my old swim technique that I used to do in high school that is classic. Uh, um, the swim, it's fast. It's really, really fast. But coaches constantly criticize it and say, you need to bring that crap under control. While I was doing some research, you go to swimsmooth.com and look at the different swim types. And there's the swinger. And the swinger is a wild swim type. With it's, It ends up having a really high cadence and a, a great turnover and catch rate. And it looks sloppy compared to the smooth swimmer. But actually, for long-distance open-water swimmer, it, swimming, it's faster and I'm, and but the downside is, is whenever swim coaches see it, they're like, "Oh, you need to, you need to rein that shit in, man. You're out of control. <laughs> You're all over the place." Well, um, uh, uh, Jody Swallow, for example, uh, does this, and gosh, she beats a lot, most of the men on, um, on uh, most of the pro men in the swim, and um, uh, so the problem is, um, swinger style swimmers, um, get lots of pressure to change their stroke back to a smooth style swimmer when actually the swing style is, is faster. And so I was watching these videos and, and going, you know, the comparison between the two and the, the characteristics, you know, I'm really enthusiastic about swimming and always on the swim deck first. I'm like, yep, yep. And, uh, really enjoy swimming, swam as a child, um, loves, uh, you know, accelerating and just going crazy in the water. And uh, this is the personality traits, um, constantly told by coaches to, uh, you know, uh, bring it in, has a little bit of crossover. That's one thing to fix a little bit of crossover in the swim potential for shoulder injuries. I'm like, yep, that's all me. <laughs> and they're like, this is the swim stroke of the fastest people. And I'm like, man, I've been trying to correct something that's actually the fastest thing already. I should have done it. So anyway, I went to the, when I went and swam this morning, I said, dude, swim like you, uh, like you used to before you started trying to fix it. And let's see what happens. Well, turns out I swam faster than with less effort than I have, um, in a long time. So I hit 2.45 miles 2.45 miles in 59 and a half minutes with not that much effort. I was like, holy crap. So everybody's different. Um, So basically you figure out which swim style you are and then try to improve on it. I'm a swinger swim style and it's got some corrections, you know, like the uh, don't uh, uh, cross over, which I do. I used to do a little bit. Um, You probably could kick a little bit more, um, which I've been working on. And, uh, you know, little things like that. Nobody's perfect. So um, go to swimsmooth.com and check out what kind of swim style you are and look for the improvements that you can do um, to make you a faster swimmer and um, just go with it. And, you know, don't take them as the training Bible either. You know, it's just opinions. So there's always, there's, there's generalizations and then there's you. So anyway, I'm about to go in and grab a burrito. Talk to y'all later. Out, Bing. All right. I think we're going to wrap up the rest of this training log and the rest of this podcast. I'm on my way to W to the ERK. And 
Okay, I've scheduled another interview with Coach Jesse Kropelnicki, which I consider just saying his last name correctly for me to be some sort of triathlon achievement. And um, let's see what's going on. Um, got up this morning. Oh, I don't know what is up with my phone alarm, but you know, sometimes the snooze makes it never come on again or whatever. But uh, missed a little bit of this morning's workout, but instead of just caving in, still got in the rest, um, 40 minutes instead of an hour, because it all counts. And uh, last night, Kai had a Cub Scout meeting, and um, I was teaching them skateboarding. Oh my, somebody doesn't know how to merge with traffic. And um, so Emily and I pulled out all the skateboards in the garage, all, all my skateboards, and I had like six skateboards of all different kinds, and they loved it. There's a picture on Twitter, Zen Triathlon on Twitter, of the, uh, of the skateboarding and uh, all of us in the front yard practicing on the grass, and then eventually we moved out into the street. That was really cool. A lot of fun last night. And getting in the run training... Um, I've got a half Ironman coming up, uh, Galveston 70.3. So I needed to get in about an hour of running last night. So I ran until the, until the Cub Scout meeting, which was 20 minutes. And then after the Cub Scout meeting, I ran another 40 minutes. And I um, uh, got in my hour. And it's a really good lesson in um, doing what it takes to get in the volume. You know? Uh, a lot of times, me included, a lot of us would just say, well, it's 20 minutes until the Cub Scout meeting. You know, what? A, just, let's just sit around and I guess get ready. No, man, I'm freaking out the door, run, running, run 10 minutes out, turn around, come 10 minutes back. That's 20 minutes of running right there. And with long distance racing, volume counts. Any kind of volume that you get in, time on your feet, it all counts. And, um, that's the gist of this interview with Jesse Kropelnicki that I want to uh, get done is um, his belief on critical volume. You got to get in for long distance racing. You got to get in the volume first and make sure you're durable enough to go long. And, um, and until you do that, you're going to be just a mess on, uh, you're going to make it partway through the race and then blow up because you just don't have the durability. Um, no matter how much speed work and stuff you do, there's a reason, you know, like if Carl Lewis and Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps and all these guys, uh, I'm trying to think of, of uh, other people, but other examples, but sprint distance, super famous athletes trying to go long, they would blow up because they would just get exhausted because they don't know how to pace themselves, but also they don't know, they don't have the, um, the durability to go long. It's actually something that you build up. So, uh, the past few days I've been working on this and going, you know what, let's hold back and just, um, try to get in the volume and see what happens with holding back. And wow, it is a totally different system. Uh, just putting in, uh, mega hours, um, there's different parts of your mu. It's really weird. There's different parts of your muscles that um, that get fatigued. Uh, different parts of your body than if you just did interval stuff. 
And then what's really weird is uh, you settle in, and then your your speed comes back up um, after you get settled in, and then um, because you're not going hard, your body isn't burning carbs anywhere near as much, and all of a sudden I'm not eating as much. I mean, I don't need to eat as much. I'm not starving for fuel because I'm not uh, working the intensity so hard, and um, but then at the same time you're able to get in just more and more and more uh, volume. It's really really interesting. So we're going to talk to Jesse Kropelnicki about this in an upcoming episode. I've already emailed him and and we're setting something up. So there's that. But I have found one limiter with big volume for sure is I'm getting saddle sores on my undercarriage.com. You know what I'm saying? And um, what's funny is I'm using one of those Adamo, uh, you know, double pronged seats on the front. So I've got like matching saddle sores on either side. Um, uh, not, yeah, <clears throat> on the side of my tank. And the, um, there's the little tip that I need to take uh, myself is um, work on myself is um, one reason to get saddle sores or to get um, uh, what is it? Um, also, if the if the nose of your seat is rubbing against your thigh, anyway, excessive pressure and excessive rubbing a lot of times is due to the seat being too high. It's jammed up into your crotch, and you're trying to reach the pedals. And so the extra pressure of you trying to make that reach is um, causing abrasion, and then that causes saddle sores. So if you're getting saddle sores, uh, one thing to do is lower your seat. Another thing to do, uh, which I'm going to do first, is which I've already done, is uh, check your cleats and see if they've moved. And mine have. On my left shoe, the, um, the cleat has slid back. And so now I'm having to reach farther to... Um, to uh, get to the pedals, and that's causing the saddle to jam up into my crotch, and the um, and also uh, my cycling shorts. I was wearing. I'm doing so much volume now. I'm wearing, um, you know, just old cycling shorts from here and there, and, I, and they're kind of crappy. And I think um, they're poor quality now because they're old and they're rubbing, and uh, that hurts the friction. And medicated uh, saddle. Uh, what it saddle lube, uh, skin sake is my favorite. Um, helps, and there was something else. Um, the cleat move. Oh, if you're uh packing your bike, which means taking off your seat post and put it back on, you probably didn't put it back in exactly the right spot, which is my case because we just came back from Spain, and so my saddle probably uh raised a half a centimeter or something like that when I put it back, even though it's all measured and everything. Um, in Spain, it seemed to be right on, right on target. And I never looked at it to see exactly where it was when I took it apart because we were taking apart bikes and at night and, uh, trying to get stuff done, you know, at last second. And that's how you make mistakes, right? Being in a rush. So that's it. Thanks everybody for joining this podcast and uh, we'll see you next episode as we start the quickening towards, uh, Galveston 70.3 and oh Ironman Melbourne's coming up so we'll probably have a chat with Sonia 
about that race, about how that all went down with uh, Angela's first, um, Angela Nath's first com- really competitive uh, 70, uh, 140.6 distance race. See how she does. That's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. Oh, my God.